Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, December 9th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all kind of day. We're going to open the phone lines right now. Jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Those lines are open. I have a couple things I'll talk about this morning, but for the most part, today's all about you and what you want to talk about. So jump in and join us. Phone lines are open. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is jump in and join us. Uh, A couple things I've been paying attention to in the news. Um, The EPA is still working on more NOx rules, trying to reduce more NOx coming out of commercial vehicles. It... um, It's getting more and more difficult each round. Uh, Trying to get rid of these problems for combustion is getting harder and harder to do. It took us just about 15 years to make it through the first couple of rounds and get all the bugs worked out. And we're almost there, except the government's going to do it again. We've got new emission standards coming out. It almost seems to me like they are pushing for electric vehicles every way possible, even though we're not ready for the vehicles. The vehicles really aren't ready for prime time. We don't have the charging stations we need. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the ability to produce all the electricity we're going to need. And yet, we're being pushed hard into electric vehicles. And I think this is just one more example of that. The, the emissions coming out of today's modern diesel engines are extremely low. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try to make them even better. But there has to be some limits on how much time OEMs have to, to work on this. That was the biggest problem back in the early 2000s. If we can go back that far, 20 some years now. There was a whole scandal about the, the OEMs cheating on their emission testing and submitting engines for testing that weren't really the engines they were producing and putting in the vehicles and putting out on the road. And they got caught at it. And one of the things the government did, which I think was a huge mistake, was they made these companies comply even earlier than the original deadlines because they were cheating. Well, I agree there should have been some penalties for cheating, but moving up the deadlines was a really, really stupid idea. We rushed the technology, then we had to rush the next step and the next step. That's how we got into so many emission-related problems with trucks. 
And now they're they're going to do it again. I, I don't know why we didn't know about these standards a long time ago or why we don't have more time to comply with them, but it's very possible we're going to deal with another bunch of uh, emission-related issues with some of these new guidelines they're talking about. Uh, what else did we have in the new? Oh, speaking of emissions and guidelines, you know, it was interesting. I, I read an article about California, another one of their deadlines just took effect. Um, he, here's the first headline I read. California's pre-2010 engine ban takes effect. So California's ban on trucks with pre-2010 emission spec engines took effect January 1st. So this is the, this we've known about this deadline for a long time. And this is only CARB. This is only California. This isn't nationwide. Um, but this is the, the, the next round of California's emission standards. The, in this particular article, it says um, it would ban roughly 76,000 trucks that are currently operating in California. Then the very next article I see says California just banned 230,000 trucks from the state. Well, which one is it? Because that's a really, really big difference. So I had to dig in, and it turns out that um, the article that claims 230,000 trucks, that's actually all of those types of trucks registered all across the country. So there's a you know 2010 truck up in northern Maine somewhere that you know, is banned from California, but was never going to go there anyway. The 76,000 number, that was derived from um, actually RigDig, one of the companies that I've been promoting for years. RigDig is kind of like Carfax for trucks. Before you buy a truck, you should be running a RigDig report. RigDig has enough data available that they were able to go back and say, yeah, 230,000 trucks nationwide might be banned under these rules, but here are the number of those trucks that have been active in California in the last five years. Even that's a little bit of a stretch. A truck that was in California the last time was five years ago. It would still make this list probably not going to go to California anytime soon anyway, but that was the discrepancy between the reports, 76,000 or 230,000. The 76,000 is the true number of those vehicles registered anywhere in the country, but have been active in California. So, you know, one of the things we haven't heard about or I haven't heard about it. I never get any calls about it. I don't see anything in the news really about it. Um, lots of trucks have been banned from California for years now under the carb rules. Except it seems to me like when I'm in California, I see those trucks all over the roads. I mean, it's not hard to identify. Some trucks are more difficult, but there are some that's pretty clear they don't belong in California, except then you have all the exceptions that make it kind of confusing 
In fact, if the vehicle's registered in California and used for agriculture, it doesn't have to meet the CARB requirements, which never really made any sense to me. California's trying to clean up the air in California, and yet they let all these non-emission trucks run around California with an agricultural exemption. It seems kind of screwy, but now... I might have a 2009 truck that is actually pretty clean compared to a pre-emission truck, and I'm not allowed in California with that truck. But somebody with the mechanical engine running agriculture is just fine. It, that just doesn't make any sense to me, but that's the way the rules work. What else do we have? Uh, a Still a lot of argument going on about um, the independent contractor rules. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. It's more of a mess than ever. You know, for the last 30 years, we've been talking about the independent contractor rules, how they apply in trucking, most of it, well, really all of it for the last 30 years. And this is one of the first issues that I ever had to deal with, kind of a compliance legal issue in trucking. I mean, my first year, I owned one truck and drove it myself. My Before I finished that first year, I bought my second truck. And I put a driver in that truck. And this is a long time ago. I was young. I didn't know. So I asked around, hey, if I'm going to put a driver in this truck, how do I pay him? I'll just pay him as an independent contractor. Just give him a check at the end of the week, let them deal with their taxes. So that's what I did. And I actually got caught the first year. I, I, and almost nobody gets letters or, you know, gets uh, caught or audited on this issue, especially really small, two trucks. But I did for some reason. Um, I got a letter from the IRS questioning whether that driver was an employer, an independent contractor. So that was when I decided to go research it. And I did. And I actually learned that the IRS was correct. Uh, I was wrong. I, there was no way I should have ever classified that driver as an independent contractor. Even though the industry does it all the time, still to this day, they do it all the time. But I actually got caught and called out on it that first year. Uh, luckily, I didn't have to pay any fines or penalties. Uh, you just kind of admitted that, yeah, I was wrong. I'll fix the problem going forward. And that was the end of it. So I had one year where I paid drivers. Really, I only had one driver that year. Uh, as an independent contractor, then it was questioned by the IRS. Then I decided, just do it right been paying drivers as employees ever since. Back then and for the last 30 years, you most of these cases were brought up by the IRS directly. Now, it was also possible for the last 30 years that these issues could be brought up by all kinds of other agencies within the state. But the IRS was about the only federal entity that really got involved in this. Now, you might have a workers' comp issue in your state. You might have an unemployment issue in your state. You may have a tax issue in your state where the state comes in 
and determines whether or not your drivers or independent contractors are employees. That's been the landscape around this for the last 30 years. I, I would venture to say 90 plus percent of the cases I saw were IRS questioning this. Um, about 10% of the cases were uh, statewide state issues. That's not a scientific number that doesn't come from any data that I've looked up. It's just what I've kind of seen uh, in my practice over the years. So you had to worry about the IRS primarily, and you had to be concerned about certain state entities. Now, everybody seems to be involved in this. The Department of Labor, the IRS, the, the Supreme Court, everybody's jumping on board. And it's actually getting more confusing because now we have more agencies that you need to watch out for and pay attention to. The real answer to this is if you are going to have multiple trucks and you own the trucks and you are putting drivers in those trucks, they're not independent contractors. They are employee drivers. Just treat them that way and be done with it. The argument I've heard over the years is, well, I can't afford to. I can't afford to pay their workers' comp and their unemployment and their half their Social Security and half their Medicare. And yeah, I get that. And the answer there is if you can't afford to, then you shouldn't have an employee. You shouldn't have a second truck or a third or 10 or whatever it is you're running. If your excuse is you can't afford to pay those taxes, then what that tells me is you don't really understand how to run a truck with enough profit to pay those things. And that just means you shouldn't have multiple trucks. I don't like paying those taxes. It's a lot of money. Workers comp. I, you know, I think of all the money I've had employees for. Let me think about this now. Um, I hired my first employee when I was 22, maybe 23, probably 23, um, because I had that lag in that first year where I was calling them independent contractors. So uh, I am coming up on 40 years almost, like 37 years of having employees. And all those years, all those employees, all that workers' comp money, all the uh, unemployment money, all that, uh, you just have to pay it. It's a part of doing business. So it's hard to say where we're going with these all these crazy rules. I think right now, um, we're a little better off. I don't want to get too political here, but we're a little better off now that um, the Republicans at least control the House. We finally have a House speaker Um which really, if I wanted to get political, we could talk about the House Speaker issue. Uh, I don't know why everybody made such a big deal about it, saying it was an embarrassment and it was chaos and it was a mess. It really wasn't. That's how our system is supposed to work. I mean, I, I the fact that, you know, they say we haven't had a fight like that for a speaker in a long time. Well, that's the bad part. We should have those types of debates and issues and arguments in politics. That's what 
politics are. That's how our system is designed, with checks and balances. If, if everybody would have just agreed, oh, yeah, he should be the Speaker of the House, well, why? Um, I, I, honestly, as far as it, it goes, I, I really don't like Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. I guess I'm glad they finally decided on somebody, but I'm also glad we had people that pushed back. And like I said, he certainly would never have been my first choice. So the independent contractor issue, um, we're still going to be dealing with it for quite some time. Um, This is an issue where politics definitely matter. Um, For the most part, across the board, it is usually the Democrats that want more people being employees. They would rather just get rid of the independent contractor rule. And it's typically uh, Republicans who fight for our right to work as an independent contractor if we choose. Honestly, if it were up to me, anybody would be allowed to choose. I, I, you should be allowed to choose how you work, but that's those aren't the rules and they're trying to change the rules and they're actually getting worse, not better. So something you should definitely be paying attention to. Um, it's tax season. That um, That's a tax issue. There's a lot of tax issues this year. We just did uh, two shows on taxes with uh, our, our tax preparer and our account here at Let's Truck. Also does a lot of our tribe. Um, they do specialize in owner-operators. You know, I, I would say owner-operators and drivers, but honestly, for company drivers these days, um, your tax return is really, really simple. I, I actually encourage people, if you're an employee, think about doing your taxes yourself. You know, get a program like TurboTax, do a little bit of reading. It really is becoming much, much easier Um you know, the, the only big issue we used to deal with around taxes for company drivers was the per diem issue. It, taking a deduction for per diem, even as a company driver, was a little more complicated, and that could really trip people up. But that's gone. You know, employee drivers no longer get a deduction for per diem. So you don't have to deal with all the rules around per diem to do your own tax return anymore. You don't have to know what the rates are. You don't have to know what day, because that's a screwy rule. The 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 rate for per diem can change. It doesn't change every year, but it can change every year if they want it to. And many years it does change, but when it changes, it actually changes during the year. So you get the first three quarters at one rate, and then the last quarter of the year is always at another. And that's because the government has a different fiscal year. That government doesn't go by our calendar year. They go by a fiscal year, and then they change the rules. What, what a stupid way of doing things. So think about this. The government is one entity, and they're on a fiscal year that's different than the calendar year. We have... Uh, you know, hundreds of millions of taxpayers in the country. So instead of setting up a rule that makes it simple for the hundreds of millions of people that have to file a tax return, we set up a rule that makes it easier for the IRS. The, The per diem changes should happen on January 1st, 
not October 1st. October 1st makes it easy for the IRS because that's their fiscal year. Now, instead, we make it confusing for hundreds of millions of people. And honestly, I've watched the pattern over the years. Um, This benefits the government because most people don't understand that that per diem rate changed in the last quarter and they don't claim the higher amount for that quarter. They wait till the next year to start claiming that higher amount. They end up paying more tax. The IRS gets more money. That's probably the answer to why they set these things up this way. All right. I've been talking for uh, 20 minutes now. I haven't had a single phone call. I'm wondering if our phone lines are working. Somebody dial me up and just tell me the phone lines are working. Uh, 855-950-3835. It is a wide open, free-for-all kind of day. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, um, call me up and ask me anything. We'll get to your calls here as soon as they start coming in. 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. You know, well, there we go. Calls are starting to come in. Maybe I just needed to ask. Um, one of the other things that I've been spending a lot of time on, actually, and it and it's fairly new for me. Uh, well, it's completely new for me, really. Is Twitter. Uh, as much as I've been into technology, and I was very, very early on the internet. Um, I was actually on the internet in the late eighties. Um, I've talked about that many times. Even social media was around in the late 80s. That One of the, really, if you were going to get online in the late 80s, that's all there was online. There weren't websites and stores and apps. There were basically what were called bulletin boards. And it was just a way to communicate with people. It was like the early versions of chat rooms. Um so I've been on for a long time. but when, And so when Facebook came around, I was on Facebook really, really early when you still had to have a college email to get on Facebook. That's how it started on college campuses. Um, it, MySpace, we remember some of the AOL. I was really early into AOL. In fact, I was one of the early beta testers of AOL. Uh, but I never, ever got involved with Twitter. We started a company account way, way back when, I looked at it. I just couldn't make sense of how there was any value to it. I I just didn't. My mind has a hard time thinking in 140 characters. So it it just, it wasn't working very well for me. So I just really stayed away from it. Then as I started to realize how powerful of a tool Twitter was becoming, and and it really is a powerful tool for news, business, politics, money, all kinds of things, health, Uh, By the time I realized how powerful Twitter was becoming, Twitter was already starting to censor and delete pretty heavily. And we decided just to stay away from that. Um, When Elon Musk decided to buy it, I got very interested. Um, Right after he completed the sale, I went and and, uh, just used the account we've had forever, but I got very active with it. And I'm in there every day now. uh, And it's it really is a powerful tool that one of the things and it calls are starting to flood in now. So I should probably get to them. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is how much 
truth or the other side, I won't even say it's the truth, I guess, just the other side of so many issues are starting to come out. Uh, A lot of doctors that had been banned over their comments about vaccines are back now and they're active and they're posting whatever they want about vaccines. So now you're getting both sides of the story. Uh, The border issue really starting to come out more on Twitter. Um, Healthcare in general, uh, type 2 diabetes, the food pyramid, heavily debated on uh, Twitter, the crime issues now. So it's, it's, it's finally interesting to see both sides of the story given equal time on a platform as big as Twitter. If you are not on Twitter, you may want to reconsider it. If you tried it and didn't like it, you may want to give it another shot. All right. I asked for calls and they're coming in, so I'm going to get to them. Let's, uh, let's go to Kansas. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Um, so I've got two things. Um, over the holiday, I, I listened to a book called Power Failure. It's about uh, GE, its rise and its fall, and 28 hours long. And um, one of the things I, I saw in it was uh, when Donald Trump uh, bailed out uh, YRC or whatever that company is, I was just thinking – that uh, GE begged the government to bail them out, that they were too big to fail. And I was just thinking that as I, as I was listening to that, it's, it's pretty good. It's long, but uh, it tells about the different uh, CEOs and why they ended up where they're at. And the other one was uh, Seth Rogen uh, talked to, he had um, an interview with somebody that had discovered years ago that there's slave labor digging out the cobalt in the Congo. They're not actually using machines. And I just thought this would be added to the battery mix is that as we become more dependent on cobalt, uh, maybe this would also enter the, the issue of slave labor is to making our, our economy with batteries. Anyway. You know, that's a, That's a really interesting topic when it comes to this move towards electric. And, you know, I keep saying the move to electric should only happen when it makes fiscal sense, when when it makes sense that this is a better technology financially, or at least it's competitive financially. And they hide those numbers. Nobody ever really wants to talk about the cost of electricity. They, the, total cost of ownership on these vehicles is what we should be comparing. Whether it's a car, we're going to buy it for our personal use, or certainly a commercial vehicle, we should know total cost of ownership. And I'm not saying electric has to even beat internal combustion engines, but it's got to be competitive. There has to be some financial argument that would I, I could look at this and say, yes, it makes sense to get that truck, but it doesn't. My fear is that it's not even close right now because they're trying so hard to hide it. And we know it's only going to get worse. Going forward, electricity is not going to get cheaper. You know, some things, the best example, probably computers. The longer computers have been around, the cheaper they get. Now, you may look at the computer and go, oh, no, computers today are about 2000 Well, a good computer today is about $2,000. That's what I paid for my first computer. 
So how can I say they're cheap? Well, they are. That was my first computer was 30 years ago. Inflation, if nothing else, computers should be way more expensive than that now. But we could also look at the fact that the computer I just bought today for $2,000 is about a thousand times more powerful than the computer I bought 30 years ago. So, you know, the, the technology around computers is really cheap and always gets cheaper. That's not going to be the case with electricity. Electricity is, is we have to continue yeah. to produce it and consume it. And it, as we put more demand on it, the price will go up. That's how supply and demand works. We, we already know that we can't produce enough and we have horrible regulations around, you know, any kind of new power plant. That's the, the cost of electricity is going to go through the roof as, as we start to, to push this. And then we have the issue on vehicles of road taxes, which aren't being charged on electric vehicles right now. I think one state just finally put in a system that would account for that. So I think that right now the cost of electric vehicles is probably through the roof, probably not competitive at all. And that's only going to get worse. So, you know, it, it, yeah. I'm actually going to get this book. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I thought she might like it. It's long, but it's, yeah. uh, another thing is, uh, you know, I find it interesting how uh, the green, uh, they don't like windmills in their land. But so you see all these great big power lines that are all going all over, and they're just ugly. <laughs> and they're not really hiding them. They're, they're just... They're just there, and you know that's what that's for uh, to for to bring this uh, more to reality. Anyway, that that's really all I had to say. Uh, while all right, I'm listening. Thanks for the call. Always looking for good book recommendations. Although I probably shouldn't anymore. You know, about uh, six months ago, I felt like I was finally getting caught up on my book list. And I just got another new Kindle because now they have a Kindle out that I can make notes on right on the screen itself for book reviews and book reports. So I got a new Kindle. And when I did, I had to get all my books and everything organized. And I was shocked. I must have like 50 books on my Kindle now that I haven't read. So I need to, I need to buckle down and start doing some more reading and get caught up. Let's uh, let's continue on. We're going to head off to North Carolina. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you today? Doing good. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, you mentioned something about the uh, state that may have put in a tax system for electric vehicles. I think I sent you, well, I know I did. I sent you an email earlier uh, last week. Uh, I got a letter in from Connecticut. I didn't really understand. I think it was about the mileage tax i didn't know if you uh had seen that and i also got another letter that looked almost exactly the same from new york yeah uh, actually it was your I email that prompted to me that. to to start looking at this and i i started and i found some headlines and i was just starting to make some notes and then i got sidetracked on some other project i was working on but it, it and you know, it's not a big deal right now, obviously, because none of us are even driving these trucks, but it, it's something we should be paying attention to. And it looks like it is already starting to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I just wish we could get better data on the total cost of owning one of these vehicles. And, and you know what? We're not, we're not going to get better data because we don't have it yet. 
none of these commercial trucks have been tested all that much. I mean, uh, there's only a couple companies really building them. We don't have any real world data on this stuff yet. So the uh, this is still a very, very risky proposition to think about owning one of these electric trucks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. What I called about today is, uh, you know, when you first started Destination Health, I came across your radio show. Uh, you actually, I believe you saved me from being a type 2 diabetic. I didn't really understand it. I come from a family where diabetes is just really prominent. Uh, we blame it on genetics. However, it became obvious once you started teaching me about diet, nutrition, uh it completely changed my life, changed my wife's life. Uh, at that time, she was going to the doctor for reproductive issues, and they, you know, doctors told us, well, you're not going to be able to have kids without treatment, you know. So, uh, hey, Stephen. And, and different they, things. Yes, I, sir. I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to I wanna just check something. Did, did they ever mention something with her called PCOS? No, sir. No. Okay. Did they claim what the uh, specific issue was that. that she was going to need treatment for? Just some irregularities. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get much in the de details on it. We were okay. we were really young at the time. Uh, however, uh, two kids now and one on the way. Uh, Congratulations. With no treatment. So. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, and, and that was all due to just completely changing our diet, uh, nutrition, lifestyle had no, nothing to do with treatment or medication. Uh, in fact, I gave her some medication. She took it a few times, made her feel really, really bad. And we tossed it and, and never looked back. Uh, the question I specifically called today, you talk a lot about diabetes and stuff. I've never heard you specifically mention this, uh, do you know much about gestational diabetes? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, specifically, why I call about it is uh, our first our first time with the doctor. We just went to a doctor that was, uh, you know, my family used in the past. Uh, long story short, it didn't really work out. We found a couple midwives and. Uh, house of birth was their, was their name. It was just all natural. Uh, you know, they really, really spoke into nutrition. Uh, the things we were doing that you taught, they completely agreed with it. Uh, really worked out well. However, there was some complications at the end. She lost her fluid. We had to do a, a emergency C-section. Uh, everything's good now. Uh, we're working with the midwife again. However, we're going with a, uh, they recommended a, a high-risk doctor that we're working with, and he's a really cool guy, uh, really open to hearing what we have to talk about. And we're still working alongside the midwife also. When it came to the – I'm sure you're aware of the tests they do. They just cram a whole bunch of right. carbohydrates into sugar, just, and, and it's like, well, obviously you're going to have a spike. Uh, right. The number was 140 that they looked for. And she hit 139. They were concerned. Uh, 
they wanted her to cram even more, do another test that was just a crazy amount of sugar. And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. So they got, we got away with that with, with charting the blood sugar. The midwives were okay with that. They said, hey, let's not even do the test. Let's just, you just chart it. You've already done that before. We'll take a look at it for a month. Everything's good. Uh, we'll just go with it. Now, we, we are at currently at 20 weeks, and we brought that up at our last appointment, what that looks like. And the feedback we got from this doctor is he's completely cool with, hey, you don't have to drink this orange stuff. You don't, I just need 50 grams of sugar, and we're going to see what it looks like in an hour. And uh, I got to talking to Caitlin. I said, you know, I need to call Kevin on this because we went to Whole Foods right after that and just started looking around for what we could get 50 grams of sugar, and that's three tablespoons of honey. I mean, with something like that, uh, I think that would be a whole lot better, obviously, than than drinking whatever they give us. Yeah, I I understand your thinking, and I would probably agree with it, but there is a problem with honey specifically because honey is primarily fructose. That's the sugar in honey, and fructose goes to the liver to get processed, doesn't necessarily spike blood sugar the way sucrose does. So we don't want to use a food high in fructose for a glucose tolerance test. We need to use a, a food high in glucose. So uh, white rice is a good one. You know, look up the, the, it doesn't take much of a serving of white rice, plain white rice to hit 50 grams. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was calling about because I didn't know I'd looked at honey. I'd looked at maple syrup. Hey, uh, hey, I know it's hey, like Steven? two tablespoons of maple syrup. Uh, yeah, it, 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 maple syrup might work. It's, I don't think there's as much fructose. I'd have to go look. Honey, though, is really high in fructose, so honey would not be a good test. I, I, ju- I use, like to use white rice. I mean, that's what we do. Here's the other thing I would really recommend. Um, why not, for the rest of her pregnancy, put her on a continuous glucose monitor? You know, right as you started saying that, it just hit me. Uh, you know, because I listened to the last Destination Health last week, I think it was, and uh, I really wish I would have brought that up with the doctor. I didn't even think about that. That would be that would be ideal, really. Yeah. Now you can you um, could try to go through your doctor and see if they'll prescribe it because then insurance will cover it. But if the doctor won't prescribe it, you could go to NutriSense and just do it yourself. That you do have to pay for it then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely uh I'll definitely bring that up. Uh what is uh what's your opinion on that test? Because it's it's fifty grams, wait an hour, they do a blood draw, which also tests for some other things, but uh and then if if, if she's above one forty on that, then they do a hundred and fifty and test every hour for three hours. You know, I just the, want to the, get your opinion on that test the, overall. The, the test is, is, can be useful. And here's what happens in gestational diabetes. You know, we've talked about the fact that it takes 10 years for us to diagnose diabetes using blood sugar. We should be using blood insulin, but we don't. It's too difficult to test. So um, it takes us 10 years. There's a long time that it takes the body to actually become diabetic. 
in gestational diabetes, something goes haywire with our hormones and our body becomes insulin resistant quickly. That's why it's so different and we, we are concerned with it. My guess is that this is just another issue that was brought up by our modern lifestyle and our modern diet. I, I have a feeling if we go back to when people ate a good, you know, hunter-gatherer type diet that this didn't even exist. It does exist. It's something we need to be aware of. Even when people get healthier the way you have, we are not healthy human beings. I mean, it seems like we are. We're healthier than, you know, the general population. By far, it's not even close. But I don't, I'm not sure we understand what it really means to be a fully healthy human being yet. You know, when we start getting... You know, like I, I look at my grandkids who really started this, you know, from day one of their life and, you know, their their two parents were eating healthy already. You know, I, I think we're going to find out what true human health is in the future. But a lot of us have to remember that many of us did a lot of damage to our body for decades. So we're not completely healthy human beings anymore. And this is just some of the things we have to deal with. So um, it sounds to me like you've got a pretty good team working on this. I don't see any real danger. The, the test, you asked me specifically about the test. I don't mind doing a, like a 50 gram carbohydrate test. And that usually gives us a pretty good idea. If, if you go over 140 on 50 grams, I don't understand the concept of tripling the dose. I will tell you, I don't know if she's been through it yet with 150 grams. It'll make you feel miserable, especially if you are a low carb eater. If you've been keto or carnivore or very low carb for a long time, and all of a sudden you hit your body with 150 grams of pure sugar, you feel like dog doo-doo after that. It's a horrible test. That's what I don't understand. And I and I get really frustrated trying to discuss that because my wife eats super clean. So, and then you just go and dump a bunch of carbohydrates exactly. in her body. It's obviously, you're going to get a spike. Yeah, and, and I, I understand. And then 139 when the test is... They are trying ahead, to sorry. determine if she has become insulin resistant because of the pregnancy. So, so I get it. We, we should be paying attention to this. But to me, the easier answer is, screw the test. I'm just going to wear a CGM. I'll know what my numbers are. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, been, a long, it's been a long road, but I just want to thank you for the information and knowledge. Uh, do you got time for one quick, one sure. quick story? Yeah. Uh, so with my daughter, she, she was born 32 weeks. Uh, she had a NICU stay of about 30 days. And, uh, you know, of course, they was supplementing my wife uh, really, really great, obviously, producing milk because of her diet nutrition. I mean, had a really large amount of fat content, you know, when you would let it settle. And uh, anyway, uh, so <laughs> my baby girl, she started her heart rate with, really after they would feed her her heart would it would get crazy and that would get pretty steady that was that was a steady routine is after she would eat her heart would do funny things you know and they were putting all kinds of different you know uh 
formulas and different things mixing it saying that they were making it better and everything and i you know sometimes you kind of feel like you got to just go along with what's happening i know uh well what the deal was she was having some reflux issues when they would feed her and so finally it got bad enough the doctor came to me and she said well we're just going to try something we're going to try straight uh reflux formula and we're going to go with that for a little while just to see what happens. I said, look, I have let this go on, and this is my girl. This is our girl. I'm going to try an experiment. Cut everything out. Let's go straight breast milk, and that's it. We've done that three days, and we were on our way out of the NICU. Isn't that crazy? And that's a, that's a true story, man. I know. I just don't understand because we had an argument. I have an agricultural background. And I understand that not all milk is the same. And, and, and she kept saying, well, this is, has more percentage of protein, this and that. I said, look, that's all fine. And I believe what you're telling me, but we're leaving out a variable. You do not know what my breast, my wife's breast milk test at. Exactly. All kind of is about this. I said, no, it's not all the same. You take a girl that eats nothing but McDonald's or you take a girl like my wife that eats perfectly clean healthy diet same breast it's just not not even close she produced enough to feed every baby in that NICU yeah and and here's the other problem with this idea of saying well you know if we use this cow's milk and all they when they say it it matches all they're looking at are the macronutrients Yes, it has this much protein. Yes, it has this much fat. Yes, it has this many carbohydrates. That That's fine to look at that. But that's not the issue that most babies are going to end up dealing with. It's not, is the right stuff in there? Is The question is, are there things in there that shouldn't be in there that the baby might react to? I don't care if the macronutrient is perfect. There are proteins in most cow's milk that human beings do not react well to, not just babies, all of us. You know, babies have a really um, good tolerance for lactose. They have an enzyme to break down lactose when you're a baby. We lose that enzyme as we become adults because we're not supposed to be drinking milk technically as adults. And we lose the ability to break down lactose. But lactose is only one problem in dairy. We're finding out that some of the bigger problems are the proteins. So that's why we've, we've tried to make a move towards A2 dairy. We talk about the A2. It's a, it's a better protein for human beings. That's why goat's milk has always been less reactive. It's higher in A2. So you're seeing a big return to more, more breeds of cows that produce a higher version of A2 milk. But ultimately... There is no formula out there that can match a mother's breast milk. There just isn't. It's not even close. And when you get somebody who eats as healthy as your wife, then absolutely that's the only thing that baby needs is her breast milk. Yeah, she was basically, our little girl, she was basically just trying to to, to throw up whatever they were putting exactly. in there, basically. That was what was causing her heart issues. Right. And then... You know, you go straight breast milk and she just, I mean, you could see the color change in her body. You could see, you could feel the difference when you're holding her. I mean, it just, yeah, night and day difference. And and when you go back to to the doctor about it, 
there's no, there's no, well, you know, that was, that was a good move or something, you know, it just. (laughs) So here, here's the way to look at this. Formula is just over-processed junk food for babies. Formula is just the baby's version of a standard American diet. It's absolute garbage. No baby on the planet should be consuming that stuff. It's horrible. It's just, you know, it's, and when they say, oh, when we feed her, she's having these reactions or heart rate changes. You know what that is? That is the stress response. That's the fight or flight reaction. That is our body saying something's trying to kill us. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, I, it just really encouraged me, and I'm working with the midwife. I just want to do more for the babies. I don't know really what I can do, but, you know, my wife produced so much while we had that NICU stay. They awesome. They were sending us home with it, like, look, we don't have no more room. And, and there was several babies next to us. The mothers were having trouble producing anything, and they were having the same issues with the formula. And we said, look, they can use whatever they want of our supplies. It's no big deal. Well, if you do that, it's got to be sent off. It's got to be pasteurized. I know. It's, (laughs) you know, it's like, my goodness gracious, everything that's good, let's go ahead and kill it and just give them, you know, watered down whatever's left of it after you cook it like that. You know, I don't, I don't, I just don't understand the mentality of, and I, I know you follow the money type deal, but why we push for, uh, you know, giving them these, this, like you said, junk food, uh, when we have all these moms that could, that could share. And we did share with some people, uh, later on. And I, it was it wasn't 30 days after we got out of the NICU, all you heard, and I'm sure you heard the commercial about, I'm not going to say a brand or anything, cause I don't know, but, uh, about the lawsuits going around. Did your baby consume this formula? You know, there was some kind of lawsuit. Guess what it was doing to the babies, you know, something they found in it. And it was an exact brand that they were feeding my little girl on the queue. And here we go, you know. I, I absolutely, you know, two things about this story. One, um, it's awesome that your wife is producing so much milk. That, that is a really, really good sign that she's healthy. I mean, this is one of the issues we see. We see women who can't produce enough milk for their own baby, much less any excess. That's the norm these days. When a woman is healthy, one of the, one of the things we do as human beings that requires us to be really healthy is reproduce for, for both the male and the female. We're, we, I, I've been talking for years about lower sperm counts. And it's getting worse. We have males who are becoming feminized with all the soy and the estrogen mimickers in the diet. So sperm counts are way down. That's a problem. Women having problems like your wife did before she changed her diet. PCOS is a big deal. Then if they are able to get pregnant, which is getting more difficult all the time, they don't seem to be able to produce enough milk. And then doctors say, well, who cares? Formula is better anyway. And it's absolutely not. There are... There are private milk exchange programs that exist. 
You can find groups on social media. You can find groups all over the place that do it without anybody being involved. Like, it's kind of like if, if you knew those other parents, you could have just pulled them aside outside the hospital and say, hey, look, you know, we'll just give you some of our formula. Screw the hospital. We don't need anybody involved in this. Yeah, and that's what we did. And, you know, the nurses, what's hard is, is the nurses are, that we were working with were under the impression that the breast milk just doesn't have enough nutrition and it oh gives the babies God. what they need. And it actually, oh. I know, I know. Oh it's my like, God. And we run into an issue where I almost blew a gasket is right there at the end when the doctor put an order in to feed only straight breast milk, a nurse that she thought, that she thought she knew what was best for our baby fed her a whole bottle of straight formula. Oh. And when I questioned her about it, she said, Oh, I guess I misread what the doctor what? sent through. You what? can't do that. Oh, you, you should can't be fired. misread. What if yeah. you should be I know. fired? You, you can't misread what the doctor <laughs> said. I mean, what exactly. if it was a, a, a cancer patient or something, Oh my God. you know, and you gave them a completely wrong injection. You can't do that. You know? Yeah, and, and you know what and that I, tells me, you know, in that kind of situation, you, you know what that tells yeah, me about ahead. that nurse? She's just a flat out liar. That was total bullshit. She didn't read anything wrong. She did it on purpose. Oh, it was obvious. It was obvious. But I tell you what, this time, uh, my hat's off to to the NICU because there is some amazing technology in there. There is. That keeps babies no alive. Doubt. And I am, I am blessed uh, and grateful for it. Uh, this time, we've built a team around us. We have our midwife. We have a... Uh, an amazing chiropractor. We have Excellent. a uh, we have an advocate that when the doctor comes in to talk or something, the phone goes to on speakerphone with our advocate. And what I mean by that is she is a uh, she's been around. Uh, what is she was the head of the nurses? I get nurse practitioner. Oh and yeah. She started her own practice. You Excellent. know. Uh, for babies and young kids, and she's going to be our advocate when we, if we have to do another NICU stay, so that, you know, because as a dad, when you know, just seeing your, you know, I'm not in the right position to be trying to, I don't know how to explain it. If you've ever been in that situation, it's just tough to. You're trying to hold your emotions together. You're trying to. Uh, uh, anyway. Oh, uh, I I know. I've got a state trooper behind me i think he's yeah i'm getting pulled over at the oh moment boy. so i'll have to <laughs> jump off here yeah. all right do an inspection so. all right go ahead uh i i had a great story by the way congratulations on uh on the healthy babies and another one on the way and the team you're absolutely doing it right this time let's um let's go to nevada ron welcome to the program Hey, did you say Ron in Nevada? I did. It's your turn. What's on your mind today? Oh, okay. Yeah, I called in to uh, to tell you that the, the phones are working. <laughs> but I have something else to talk about. Oh, good. That's why I called. You, you, you always hit on everything. I'm trying to, I'll, I'll try and get focused here. What guy, okay. You're talking about all the all the stuff that's happening, Kevin. You're you're always ahead of the curve, and uh, 
okay, when it comes to electricity, I used to be a driver. I, I'm a retired truck driver. I love the trucking industry. And, and I know there's always going to be a place for electric trucks, but I'm not going to drive a truck anymore. <clears throat> I'm working on stationary batteries, okay? There's a stationary bat because you can think totally different when you don't have to worry about the weight, right? Yeah. A stationary battery could weigh 10,000 pounds if it, if it works, if it does the job, it, it, who cares how much it weighs? Right. So anyway, there's liquid metal batteries, okay? They, they're, the formula's being dialed in, but they're not expensive. <clears throat> they can be big. They should be big. And you could, okay, with, a, with solar power, you could charge them up, but that's not a very efficient way of doing it. And the environmentalists that are supposedly trying to solve this global warming problem have narrowed, narrowed it down to two forms of energy is all you're allowed to talk about, solar and wind, okay? And those can produce electricity. Solar works pretty good, okay? Uh, a solar, you can, uh, you know, your smartphone, all it needs is three and a half volts. And you could keep your smartphone charged with a solar panel yeah. pretty easy. So if all you wanted to do all day is play with your smartphone, you could do it with one solar panel <laughs> and then shit outside or something. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what it boils down to. You know how you, well, I, I've heard you, I've been listening to you almost ever since you started back on in the XM days. And I know you have a, a smart, smart grid, uh, the smart energy in your house, right? Okay. What you have to do is get rid of that smart energy and cut the electrical cord coming into your house and run everything off a giant battery and just have, have an efficient way of charging the battery. Okay. So solar is pretty efficient, but, <clears throat> uh, Nat gas steam turbines are really efficient and they're clean. But they don't want to tie. <laughs> you're not allowed to say that nat gas is the cleanest kind of energy. You know, when it comes to fossil fuels, you can't beat nat gas for being clean, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so, so, and we can produce an awful so, lot of it in uh, this country. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is the way it works. 
uh, it, it's basically a nat gas turbine that runs on steam in an enclosed system that is like a nuclear power plant, only scaled way, uh, you scale it up, scale it down any way you want, okay? But the ba- the basic idea is you charge this battery with solar panels and every once in a while, you know, it gets low, kick on that gas, that gas steam turbine and blam, you can charge that battery up real quick, a giant battery. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the only question I have, I, I do understand natural gas turbines and they're already used. I mean, we produce an awful lot of power yeah. around the world with with steam turbines, natural gas steam turbines. That's that. That's a thing. It's the way we I think. Um, right. I think I've seen yeah, somewhere yeah, we'll, around 40 we'll, percent um, of the power in like 70 different countries that that is how we're producing a lot of our power. And it is clean. We, we've talked about right. that. Um, I, what I'm not aware of, and right, I, I could right. go do a little research, you, you said you can scale this up and down. I've never really seen a, a really small scale version of this for like an individual house. Hey, 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 uh, it, it's being engineered on Twitter. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, uh, Elon Musk is going to turn Twitter into the best engineer the uh biggest engineering company in the in the world and it's all going to be free okay all you have to do is uh, this gas what i want to say about nat gas okay a lot of a lot of uh, electricity gets produced by nat gas when because when they when they shut down coal nat gas was there that that was the thing to go with but uh, this steam turbine is an enclosed system, like a, a, a like a nuclear power plant. Only, it instead of nuke, it runs well. Okay, you use the sun to heat the water, and you use the natural gas to give it that last kick and turn it into steam. Blam! And start the team steam turbine the steam turbine spins so fast it can give that big ass battery a good charge in in not that long a time and then it shuts off and uh, a liquid metal battery gets better the more times you charge it and discharge it interesting (laughs) and it also yeah and also the the Liquid metal battery produces a lot of heat and it needs to be cooled and it can be cooled with water that runs the steam turbine. It, it's, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like there's, you know, there's no such thing as free energy, but it's, it's, it's taken it it, so, it it works, Kevin. 
Well, it, there's obviously <laughs> hey, a lot I'm, of. I'm not a, I'm 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 not an engineer. I'm I'm trying to be an artist. Yeah, but I'm no, not, it, but I'm. Um, you know, I, as much it, as much research as I've done on battery technology, for some reason I missed this whole idea of liquid metal batteries. But I just did a couple quick searches. Yeah, I, I, there are at least I found one report that looked at fifty different companies developing this technology right now. Yeah, yeah. They're being used out here in the Nevada desert, okay? Uh, it's it's almost so good they're trying to keep it a secret. But well, you know, one of the things... A, this one, it, it, one of the things I've been looking ahead. at based on where I live, I've talked about, you know, I kind of moved out of the market and I'm putting most of my investment money into property, mostly because of where I am. I mean, real estate really is about location, location, location. And I'm in a place where the, yeah. the, the income potential on properties as like Airbnbs and vacation rentals is huge here. So that I'm kind of, you know, we've bought several yeah. properties. We're starting to think about developing them. One of the, pro I'm still looking for a specific piece of property and I'm thinking about, I, I want three things on it. I want as much sunshine as I can get. So the gorge is weird here. I can go 10 miles away and I'll get more sunshine than I get right here, significantly more. So I'm looking for yeah. a piece of property that has maximum sun exposure for the area I'm in. I know wintertime is always going to be difficult. Um, we have tons and tons of wind in the gorge. So I want a property that's got good access to the wind and that can change just a mile away. You find the right location, you get lots more wind. And also we, because we're in the gorge and the gorge is a big river, the Columbia River, we have lots of little streams and tributaries running down the gorge into the Columbia River. So I want a property where I can yeah. wire up all three of those as sources to charge a battery, solar, wind and and the water uh, run a water wheel in there and yeah, right. then i'm just looking for the very hey. best battery technology to store it yeah um well see the thing with lithium ion batteries okay the reason those got developed so quick is because lithium is the lightest metal right. known to man and, and, and when still elon heavy. musk you know, what, what's that? And it's still heavy. Yeah, Even though liquid, it's light, it still makes heavy batteries. Right. Yeah. 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 So that, that kind of screws you up when you're trying to, you know, make, you know, cars, the lighter, the better. But uh, see, with when you're doing a stationary battery, you don't have to worry about the weight. Right. Now See that, what I mean? That's interesting. So it, it, it changes everything. Yeah, it does. It, it, hey, hey, Ron, good stuff. I'm going to go do a little more digging and research on uh, both of those topics. So I appreciate the heads up on those. Calls are uh, busy, so I'm going to move on. We're going to head off to Kansas. Bob, welcome to the program. <laughs> hey, how are you doing today, Kevin? I just, uh, your show's wild. I, I was thinking about something totally else when I called in, but... I wanted to jump in about the first caller he said, you know, these cobalt mines that are done with this slave labor. I've watched a deal about it too. And they said that 90, like I would like to say 96 or 97% of the world's cobalt is produced in the Congo 
by this slave labor. It's, it's almost crazy. They showed videos of these people working and there's like 15,000 people digging this stuff up by hand. That's it's insane. insane working for a dollar a day, a dollar a day, little kids, men, women, children, just digging in these pits to get this, this cobalt and the rest of the world hardly produces 5% of the rest of the cobalt. And that, you know, they say, well, we, we source clean cobalt and you know, you'll see those, these advertisements here and there, but they say there's no way any technology company, any battery company can say they do not source this cobalt. It's you know, crazy, I, but I, I, I keep saying it. I, I can't believe that's the green future the Democrats want for us, where we're back to using slave labor to make this, you know, cost effective. I, uh, my point about the whole electric revolution, the green revolution, this is not going to make sense until we have a different and better battery technology than what we have. Batteries with these exotic heavy metals are a really, really bad idea. It's all we have right now. And we should stop all of this push of electric cars, electric trucks, electric everything. And we should start focusing on a better battery technology first. Yeah, I, and you think about what China is doing. They're basically liquefying a mountain in China to get the lithium out of it. I mean, those two, those two of the main ingredients that go into these batteries are just so in detrimental to the environment. It's hard to say that this is a green move. But yeah. and, and, and another way to, and just, just and your second caller was talking about the health of his wife. I'm totally into health. I, I call about it all the time. But I was listening to the new book by Epstein. I can't remember his first name. It's Fossil Future. And Alex. I listened to his last book, you know, The Moral Case for Alex. Yeah. Anyways, I, I get the feeling, you know, he talks about Paul Ehrlich. He's like this big environmentalist who's made all these predictions about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And he's been wrong over and over again. But I think... I, I, I know I'm a conspiracy theory or whatever, but I do believe that these two things, environmentalism and this health thing, are go together. I, I almost I believe that they are pushing this health thing to make us sicker, weaker, more susceptible to these viruses and bacteria. And what their goal is to lower the population in, on the earth to a point where they think it's sustainable or where their numbers work. And I, I cannot believe that these two things are not, you know, connected because I, I entered this health thing because of you, but it has led me to the environmental movement so much that it, these two things are working in tandem, making people sick. So we go away. Uh, That's a really good point. And you're right there. It, it's, there's very strong correlation between these two, but it seems as though nobody wants you to make that connection. Let's just think about, here's a place where environmentalism and health absolutely come together, and we're talking about it all the time. 
this push all of a sudden that it's raising animals that's destroying the planet. So we need to move to these fake meats. Well, when you look at it, it is so totally backwards. Um, Take a, a truly regenerative farm like Polyface. They have almost zero environmental impact. I mean, they are producing meat the same way nature produces it. And the earth was able to sustain that for, you know, a billion years or whatever the number is. It's our current model of farming that is destroying the planet, not raising animals. We can raise animals in a way that's really, really good for our planet. And yet what they think is better is for us to produce Acres and acres, hundreds of thousands of acres of things like soy and canola and all these crazy ingredients they need to produce this fake meat, which is horrible for our health. And the way they would have to farm to raise all this meat would destroy the planet. Because they know this is an anti-human thing. They know that this by supporting these types of crops, Supporting this type of lifestyle, it's anti-human. Instead of, in the book, he calls it human flourishing. You know, they think that humans on the planet are these, uh, what are they? What is a supercharger compared to a turbo? What is that? You know, it's on an engine. What is that called? Uh, what is a super? It pulls power from the engine. Uh, I can't think where I'm going. But... but- Anyways, that we draw resources from the earth and we never put anything back. But really, what we are is we're, we, we're producers and providers. We, yes. Improvers, excuse me. Producers yes. and, and improvers. We, we, don't, we don't suck from the planet. We make the planet more livable. We make the planet, but they don't believe that. They think of us as this thing that sucks the planet dry but really, we make the planet better every time. You know, I, it, I know you talk about Ohio and how it used to be back in the 60s. But think about now, how much cleaner, how much work have we done because of our ingenuity and because of really smart people. And if the goal would be, let's make as many people as healthy as possible and, and use these technologies like polyface farms, farms to make the soil better. Why, if you were an environmentalist, you would think you would go and study farms like that to see how are they doing this? How is he restoring the soil that used to be rock, exposed rock, and now it's lush green grass? Hey. Why, instead of growing and trying to make technologies to make more soybeans grow on a one, you know, just one plant on thousands of acres? Yeah, I know. You are right. These two are very, very intertwined and almost nobody realizes it or talks about it. Yeah. I I got way off, but uh, I I was really actually calling about uh, how I I do own trucks. I own about 10 trucks and I have eight drivers and it is so unbelievably hard to attract drivers. And I, I have a model that is you know, employee drivers, I own the trucks that there's no messing around. I pay their workman's comp, I pay their taxes. And when I have drivers that come in that are, have been in that other system, they look at what I have to offer in pay 
it, they just laugh at me and say, <laughs> I can go somewhere else and get double that amount. But when you're doing it right, you know, it, it looks terrible. But these are the rules that we're, that, that I'm under. And I look at other companies on it that I know they're screwing those employees or they're just paying him straight out. But like he's some kind of contractor, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't like the government. I don't want big brother, but in another way, I look at it. I'm like, this is cheating. How, and I, it makes it so hard for me to compete against other trucking companies that do a totally different model that I wish I could do that. But if I did it, I would, you know, I would be sure to be found out, but I, I don't know. I bet the whole environmental thing and the, it just consumes my mind for some reason these days, but ah, getting way off. Go ahead, Kevin. I, (laughs) no, I, I, I know the feeling uh, there are many days where I feel like that there's just so much going on and so much of it is wrong. And so much of us is taking us in the wrong direction. It just gets frustrating. A lot of it, I want this, you know, this AB. I know a lot of guys don't want it, but I would like it to make it fair. You know, if you're following the rules, then you need everybody to follow the rules and be across the board. But another part of me says, I don't want that. I want to be able to say how my company is ran, and I don't want anybody stepping in and, you know, doing it. But when you're in a system, you're in the system. You know, I have no problem. The thing is, we already had rules and all we had to do is clarify them a little bit. I I have no problem with saying, let's just use trucking because the independent contractor rule touches just about every industry, but we know trucking and we're talking about trucking. Uh, I have no problem having a law that says, look, if I own this truck and I'm putting a driver in it, they're an employee. I mean, that's just clear and straightforward, and I'm okay with that. It's when we get into these really, really, we're going to make everybody an employee no matter what, which is kind of what AB5 did. AB5 took people who took their own money, bought a business, bought a truck, created a business, took a risk, been doing it for years, and now all of a sudden you're going to say they're not independent? That's the problem I have. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. And I would like it to be one way or the other, or at least let us choose how we want to be and not have these rules forced on us. You, you know, one of the things that, that would really help move this topic in the right direction is the fair tax. If we could just get a fair tax enacted, who cares anymore if you're an independent contractor or an employee? It almost becomes a non-issue. There is no more payroll withholding, which is one of the big issues. Who's going to pay half the Social Security and Medicare? Well, that issue goes away. There is no Social Security and Medicare payments anymore. It all comes out of the fair tax. So now... It, we're down to little issues like who's going to cover workers' comp and things like that. Well, we can solve those problems. The, the fair tax would go a long way towards clarifying this issue. I wish I don't understand why it wouldn't have started in this in the first place. I would like to do some research and say why why would we done this income tax 
model instead of doing the the pay as you go, you know, the things you spend on, do you think everybody would hit be hit the exact same way? It'd be much it, like it's called the fair tax. Yeah, you know who who knows why it started. It you know maybe in the beginning this seemed like a good idea. It certainly isn't anymore. The problem now is that our tax code is so big and so complicated and it generates so much revenue that that is the biggest target um, for politicians to use. It's so confusing. You can say anything you want about the tax code and it's almost impossible to prove somebody wrong. And the average person certainly doesn't understand it. So the problem now is the tax code has become a source of huge power for politicians. And it's politicians that would have to enact a fair tax. It, and why would they? It goes against their best interest. <laughs> yeah, government wants to get bigger and yeah. stronger and have yeah, more exactly. over us all the time. I, one more thing, just to change the subject one more time. I ran with, I, I bought, I had four all those ones are 20, 20 and one and the other three are 20, 21. And I ran with one and it did the exact same job. I did the same equipment, same everything. And it burned about $91 less fuel than I did in that day. Isn't that and crazy? So, I mean, I don't know if you like 20 in the 20 day period, it basically will make its payment. It, it, it's isn't just, that crazy? They're just they're doing great. Excellent. And anybody who goes around and just talks about Volvos and, oh, they're not, they, they are so worth it. You know, I had a guy telling me, oh, you can't do anything with them over 80,000 pounds. And he, oh, bullshit. And I was like, that truck's got 120,000 pounds on it right now, and it's doing the same job I'm doing. Yeah. How can you be bad-mouthing it? And it's keeping up. You know, I have an older Kenworth with a uh, 14 liter Detroit and I, you know, it's, it's been Pittsburgh powered and stuff like that. And I got to work that thing hard to keep up with it. Right. You know, they're not so impressive of getting off the line or anything. They're not nothing like that. But when they start cruising, they are tough gals, yep. tough, tough girls. Good so, stuff. And they, and, and they make $91 a day. Yeah, there you go. More than I <laughs> that's, make. So. That's, that's a big deal. All right, Bob, great stuff. We're going to move along. All right, um, we're just about through the calls here, coming up on an hour and a half, but uh, I will hang out if you want to jump in and join us. Lines are open again, 855-950-3835. It is a free-for-all, anything goes. We can talk about trucks or money or health or whatever you want today. Ask me anything. Let's uh, let's go to California. Uh Jeremy, welcome to the program. Oh, I got to bring him in first. Come on, what's going on here? There we go. Now things are working. Hello. Jeremy. Hi. Now we got you. Hi. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. All those, uh, those past calls. Um, hi, I wanted to ask you uh, a question on the hot honey. Uh, your opinion, if you... I didn't put a weight on it this time. I'll do it next time. But uh, I had a, a pepper kind of come to the top. And, and it was literally like one ring I could see of mold, you know, and it kind of freaked us out a little bit. And so we, 
I had so many peppers in there. I scooped a bunch out, and I was like, "Well, wait a minute. Let me see if this if I gotta throw the whole thing away or not." What, what, what would you do? Um, you know, I'm a little freaked out about mold, so I tend to if I get true mold, not not yeah, not cam yeast. Cam yeast is that really thin white film we get on the top. Sometimes got a very distinct odor. If I know it's cam yeast, I I scrape it off throw it in the refrigerator for a couple of days, take it back out if I want to ferment it more. And that usually takes care of it. Now, I don't worry about cam yeast. True mold, I do worry about. Uh, it can make you sick. Okay. Um, I've heard people say, oh, it's only on the top. Scrape it off. You'll be fine. I've heard other reports that say it can grow kind of roots down in. My point is, uh, mm. look, it's, it's, you know, if, hopefully I don't screw up a three-gallon batch of honey like that. Um, but if I do, I'm probably going <laughs> to throw know. it away. I, I'm probably just going to toss yeah, it. Yeah, okay. That's what Tammy said. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is probably $10 worth of honey. You know, I but, know. Oh, well, it's, yeah, it's not worth I, it. it. it you know, <laughs> I got this, one good, though. This whole hot honey thing is so new that... You know, we're, we're, we're in the learning phase. I mean, I, I am trying to screw up batches. And, and I did throw away a three-gallon batch because I wow. ended up with a, a lot of mold on top. One of the things we absolutely have to do is, and it seems easy in the beginning, but you have to keep everything submerged in the honey. You know, in the beginning, a lot of times you can push yeah. it down and it's under but eventually it works its way back up. And, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't putting anything on top of mine. Now I am, you know, depending on what, you know, I'll use right. a plate or, you know, weights or glass weights uh -huh. or whatever. Um, so two things I've, I've learned really well. about mold in fermenting honey. One, while it's fermenting, as long as you keep everything under the honey, I've never seen any mold at all. It's only if you let things come up out of the surface into the air that you'll get mold in the fermentation phase. Once we're done fermenting and we take the peppers out, I found two options. Yeah. One, that honey is thin enough that you could put it in the refrigerator and it will still pour just fine okay. and you won't get any mold issues. But I have had a couple of batches that if I left the fermented honey out, I got a little bit of mold right around the top inside, like a little ring right around the very top. Most of those I've just been kind of dumping the top out a little bit, cleaning it out, and I still use it. Because it's almost hard to tell if it's really mold or if the honey is crystallizing right at that line. One of the things I've done that seems to have stopped it is I, I'm using vinegar in the hot honey after it's done fermenting, I'll take a pH strip and I'll check the pH and then I'll use a vinegar to get it down under four. Actually under three and a half is even better. And the interesting thing is the vinegar okay. works. I mean, it, it, it's, this is similar to a hot sauce and we always put vinegar in hot sauce. So depending on the base recipe, um, I might use apple cider vinegar to add some flavor, or if I don't want to alter the flavor, I'll just use white vinegar. But then it adds a whole new level of options. We could use a red yeah. wine vinegar, a rice vinegar, uh, and, and get different flavors. But I am finding 
that it makes sense to add vinegar and check your pH, and then you could leave that bottle out all you want. Okay, I'll ask you on, on the healthy try what pH chips you use and what. Uh, um, I'll make it really uh, well, easy. Really easy. Go to Google. Oh, okay. Or, or not Google, but go to Amazon. Okay. Or you know, I hate to always go is to Amazon, but. Or is it strips? It's the easiest. And just put in food safe pH strips and you'll come up with a hundred options. Just pick one and use it. I mean, they're ch- it's cheap. It's just like little okay. rolls and you tear a piece off and you dip it in there and you check the color. Okay. Well, I had, that was my, the one that I guess I'm going to throw out. Well, I already threw out the jalapenos because that was all, all of it, all of it. Then I, this one was my Serrano. I mean, no, this one was my habanero and, and the uh, Fresno pepper, which I was wanted. It had a nice sweet flavor. It was different. So I'll throw that one out. But so that Serrano peppers made it. I don't, but so I got, at least I got one, but, uh, 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 how about a, um, investment question real quick i don't mean to sure no go ahead bring it on you real fast but in your okay uh just in case you might know um you know the s&p the vanguard s&p there's a value and then there's a a, a growth yeah the codes is v-o-o-g growth and v-o-o-v you know and one's the, the growth is a lot it's like a hundred dollars more usually and the value is like it's lower typically. So I was like, uh, it makes it hard to choose why, you know, and I ended up having getting two going, but wait, uh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. Let me make sure I'm understanding what we're talking about here. You're saying that Vanguard has two different funds that they're calling S and P 500. Well, that's what my thought was. Yeah. Cause, uh, that doesn't make any sense to value and Oh, it doesn't? Really? Okay. Now, really? you might okay. want to go back and, and was, read very carefully yeah. what these two... Fu- Here's yeah. the thing. I, I don't know how an S&P 500 fund could have a different price or have a different objective, like one is for growth and one's for value, because an S&P 500 fund index fund means that it can only have the 500 stocks that are in the S&P 500. It has to hold all 500 of them in the right ratio, and it can't hold any other stocks. If it did, it wouldn't be an index fund because somebody would have to choose what those funds are. So if it's an S&P 500 index fund, I don't know how they could have different funds with different objectives. They're identical. Okay. What little I found or what I could find so far was something like maybe they overlap each other. And so there's not quite 500 in the, in that value one, like where it's really, they might do it. It might overlap each other. It might be two of, I I don't know. So anyway, uh, I'll have to look more into it. Like you said. um, Yeah. It's possible that uh, they're, they use wording like it's based on the S and P 500 index, but it is truly a managed fund. You want to make sure it has the word index yeah. fund and they're not just talking about basing it on the S&P 500. Okay. Yeah, we're going to re, I'm going to re, uh, uh, like I was listening to your, your Friday calls. That was good information. Um, hey, here's, here's Tammy real quick. Thanks a lot, Kevin. You're Appreciate welcome. You. Hey, Tammy. Hi. 
Hey, okay, so I don't know why I keep forgetting to just, it's a success story and a thank you, but my whole life I suffered with Reynolds disease. Do you know what that is? Yes. Okay. And I think it was definitely after Wim Hof, maybe before the X3 bar, but this is my third winter and I have not had one episode of it at all. And it is so awesome not to have my fingers turn white, my toes turn white, my nose turn white. It's right. amazing. So I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah. So, no, that's awesome. I love that. Now, are you doing the cold exposure? I am. Yeah, I started that too. Maybe that, you think that was it? You know, honestly, of the two, I think if we look at the breathing and the benefits behind the breathing and then the cold exposure, I would say it's more the cold exposure that's doing this. Really? Well, here's the here's the explanation. Oh, because it constricts the veins? Well, here's the explanation. So the way that our extremities stay warm is blood flow. You know, our blood's nice and hot. It should be 98 degrees coming out of our heart. And then we get that blood out to all of our extremities and it keeps everything warm. But over time in the standard American diet, we lose that blood flow. That's why people have high blood pressure because their blood isn't flowing the way it should. We lose um, a lot of the flow in the small capillaries and tiny little veins in those extremities and then enough blood doesn't get to them and they get cold and they turn white and you know extreme cold what happens when you force your body into the cold your body says look you've got to get some blood out here or we're going to get frostbite and your body starts really trying to force blood into those extremities to to start to warm them back up And when you do that over and over and over, it's like working out a muscle. It just gets better and better at at allowing that blood to flow all the way to the extremities. So it really is primarily the cold exposure that's helping this. Wow, that's so interesting. I didn't, you know, I guess if I would have sat and thought about that, I probably would have been like, yeah, that's what it was because. That makes complete sense. And it is right about the Wim Hof and the cold exposure I started right away at the same time. You know, the breathing, it it may be having some effect on this. We could probably find some mechanisms where it's helping. But I think the primary fixer here is the cold exposure. I, I did a show one day on people who complain about cold feet all the time, you know, and it's really uncomfortable. They can't ever get their feet warm enough. The, 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 irony of this is the best way to fix that is to go walk outside in cold weather all the time or just stick your feet in ice water for 10 or 15 minutes or whatever you can stand. That will actually start to make your feet warmer all the time. It seems so backwards and ironic, but if you do that enough, walk outside in the wintertime in bare feet, put your feet in some ice water once in a while, you'll be shocked at how warm your feet are all day long. That's funny you say that because I remember growing up, I used to always say cold hands, warm heart because I always had cold hands. Yeah, right. You know? so, and I don't right. anymore. I didn't even, I forgot about that too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's so cool. But I just want to say thank you. You know, it all works. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you guys for all, all the, right. uh, all the work you do promoting it and spreading the word. Oh man. We just want anything we can do to help. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, you, you have a great stuff. day, Kevin. We appreciate you very much. 
You're welcome. Thanks okay. for the call. All right. Great stuff. Yeah. The, the cold exposure is powerful when it comes to your cardiovascular system, which is all the way down to the tiny little arteries and, and blood flow at the end of your fingers and your toes. When we do the cold exposure pretty regular, a couple times a week at least, you will be shocked at how much warmer your you feel all the time, your whole body, but also your hands and feet. Um, pretty incredible. Like I said, go out in the morning and walk around outside on a cold day. You know, my I, I think the best time for this, and, and we have this kind of weather all winter long, um, about 40 degrees and wet, raining, wet, they go walk outside in bare feet in that. And when you come in within about 15 or 20 minutes, your feet, they will get really, really cold. It will be painful when you first do it. Um, but you'll come in and they'll start to warm up and then they'll go from being ice cold to warm. And then all of a sudden they start to feel hot and, and that will kind of continue throughout the day. And the more often you do that, the more you will find your hands and feet stay toasty warm. But the thing we have to do is expose them to cold over and over and over to get that to happen. All right. Uh, what else we got? We've got uh, a call coming in. So I'm going to wait till we get this one screened and I'm going to grab it. Um, pretty normal week this week. We're, uh, well, this will be the first five-day week in a while. Uh, we'll be here all five days this week. Tomorrow will be the power hour. Wednesday's Destination Health. I don't know if I have a guest or not. I'll have to check on that. Um, Thursday will be a free-for-all and rolling tow. Friday will be trucking trends and technology. So a pretty, uh, pretty normal week back to a normal schedule. Um, I have committed to no new projects. Um, I just have to stop taking on new projects for a while. I have so many projects that I've got to finish. Some of them, there are reasons I've been waiting. Um, some of them just take time. The hot honey project is going to be an ongoing thing for a long time in the future. Uh, there's only so much I can do to that. It just takes time. I have to test things. And um, the stress protocol is what I'm going to be working on here um, and get getting that one finished first. I think that one's going to have to be my priority. And I'm glad I waited. I mean, there was a reason it took this long to do it. Uh, and it happened for a reason and it's gotten a lot better. So I'm glad I didn't publish this earlier. I would have been making a bunch of changes to it. So uh, it's time for me, though, to, to no new projects. I just need to buckle down and get some of these out the door. It's time. Um, let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kevin? Are you familiar with the uh, periocardial cyst? Uh, say that again. A periocardial cyst? Like a cyst oh, yeah. around the sack of the heart? Yep. Yep. And my daughter has that, and obviously she's a NICU nurse, and obviously had to get the jab and all that shit. So it's just weird that all of a sudden this pops up. Because um, she got lucky; they found it because she 
Go ahead. They had a, uh, yeah, like a stomach problem. She had a stomach problem, thought it was uh, appendicitis, so they gave her a, a scan, and then they noticed the, the mass around the heart, and then now they, you know, she's got to go through the whole bullshit. I told her about Dr. Woodson, but um, she kind of was like, oh, I, I know somebody because she's a nurse, so, you know, you can't browbeat her, but I'm just concerned about it. I was wondering if there's anything so I, to I, me on, maybe, or you know, I, I have a bunch of articles in PubMed. PubMed is like the the national database from the um, National Institute of Health at uh, PubMed.gov. So this is a government-run program, but it is where a lot of, you know, scientific research papers are submitted. So even though it's the government and it's not perfect, it's still where I get a lot of my information on this kind of stuff. And I, I keep, you know, I bookmark stuff so I can go back and find it easy. And I thought I remembered something like this. Uh, here's the headline. Um, and this was back in May when I found this. So I, I'm going to have to go back and read this. But uh, again, this is PubMed. This is the government. COVID-19 mRNA vaccine induced pericarditis, not perio, pericarditis with large pericardial effusion that is primary that sounds like exactly what she's dealing with and this has been linked to the vaccine great unbelievable well like i said i mean i, I tried talking to about dr woodson i gotta you know i just gotta stick on it with it but i just said uh, i said this is amazing you know all the people i got jabbed man you know crazy. Yeah. I hope it, it don't happen to everybody. It seems like this vaccine has a huge negative impact on the heart specifically and causes all kinds of heart issues. Arrhythmias, heart attacks, strokes, um, this issue with uh, with pericarditis and the cyst. It, it, it is just, it seems like it's really bad for our heart. So if, if you're right, just do everything you can to convince her to do a consult with Dr. Wolfson. Yeah, I just wonder if that football player, he got the jab and I never looked into that. The one that collapsed, you know? Um, they're not releasing that information. I, as far as I know, well, I've read tons of articles about it, and not once have they ever mentioned his vaccine status. It's like they totally ignore it. Yeah, because that would let the cat out of the bag. But we, I think the statistic oh, yeah. is, I think the statistic, because of all the, the rules and the restrictions when they were traveling, if I remember right, I think over like 90% of NFL players are vaccinated. Wow. Wow. Well, I hope it doesn't keep happening, that's all. Um, all right, I appreciate it. Yeah, actually, I just looked it up, and I, I you know, I'm not double-checking anything here, um, but I found one statistic, and it's from uh, the Football League itself. 94.1% uh, of NFL players are vaccinated. And here's the thing. Let's think about how crazy this is. 
What do we absolutely know about COVID? We could argue about a million things, but there's one thing that is absolutely clear. It's really dangerous where it was. It's not even so much anymore with all the new variants, but it's dangerous for old people like over 65 or 70. It's dangerous for them. And it's dangerous for people with poor metabolic health. Football players, they're all young, really young in their 20s primarily. And they have... I won't say they have perfect metabolic health because many of them still eat a really poor diet, but they have way better health than the average human being walking around. This is the last group that should need vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young, isn't it ironic that all of, not all of them, but the majority of these sudden deaths are athletes. I mean, we have newscasters, you know, falling over. I watched another video that today, this young female newscaster, she's standing there talking and all of a sudden you see her eyes start looking a little goofy. She stops talking. She starts mumbling. Then she finally says, I, I, I don't feel so good. She couldn't finish a sentence. She couldn't think of the next word. And she just went silent. And then she says, I, d I don't feel so good. And you see her start to sway a little bit. And then the, the camera goes off. I, this is just insane. Wow. But the, the pri primarily, these stories are about athletes, young athletes, high school athletes, college athletes, pro athletes, which are still in their 20s. It, what a shame that these people are suffering so much from this and they didn't need the vaccine in the first place. No, no. Crazy. The uh, I, I will right, encourage people, I, you know, I, I don't normally encourage things like this, but I'm going to encourage people to go back. If you're not on Twitter, go get on Twitter and get active. Um, follow me and then look at who I follow if you're interested in health and follow them. I'm adding doctors every single day. There are so many doctors on Twitter now coming out and talking about the truth around health overall, around big pharma, about the standard American diet, a lot of them talking about the vaccine. I'm encouraging people, get on Twitter, retweet this stuff, respond to it. Let's get it out there. Okay. All right. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You know, it, it, uh, I don't know how I want to say this. Um, we need to spread the word about this. We need more and more people exposed and talking about it. The mainstream media is not going to do it. They ignore it. They're going to continue to ignore it. Of all the places I'm active, Twitter by far is the most powerful right now for getting this information out. So no matter what you think about Twitter, I'm encouraging you to get on there, follow doctors who who you agree with on these issues and then amplify it retweet respond like do all of that stuff let's share it let's get this stuff out there and like i say right now twitter is the most powerful way of doing it let's go to michigan david welcome to the program hey kevin how you doing today good what's on your mind so well two things a um It'd be the middle of November. My wife and I took a two-week cruise. 
which I guess is a petri dish for <laughs> all kind of right situations, right? So, but uh, the first week into the cruise, you know, I was going to call you just to say, um, I never been on a ship with so many fat people in my life. Isn't that crazy? It was unbelievable. You know, in fact, I was in the fitness center and talking to the guy there. And I said, you know, we planned a cruise before COVID. Well, then that one got canceled. Right. And I said, but I don't remember all the big people. And he says, you know, it's kind of funny. That's kind of happened since they opened up cruising again. Really? And I'm like, wow. That's, yeah. you know, clearly... You know, yeah. one of the things that's been going around Twitter a lot lately, I know I talk about Twitter a lot, but there's a lot of things happening over there. Um, people are, I have been posting a lot of beach pictures from like the 60s and 70s. And and you look at these I, pictures and there's like, you know, maybe 300 people you can see in the picture. You can see a lot of people on a beach shot. And you just try to find somebody who's overweight in those pictures. It's almost impossible. You look at it and you go, was it really yeah. like that? And it was. I should know this. I grew up yeah. with it. You know, I, I've talked about the fact that growing up and going to school in the 60s and 70s, it, you you probably had one fat kid in the class. There always seemed to be one. You know, growing up in elementary school, one of them was my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. it, and he got picked on. Not so much. He was kind of a cool kid. And, you know, but it, it, they stood out. Now it's almost the norm. So we've been talking about this for a long time, but it's shocking to hear somebody in the cruise industry saying it actually got worse in just the last three years. Yeah. Yeah, it was really amazing. So uh, a week into the crew, well, about a week and a couple of days, uh, I ended up getting COVID. Now I'm not vaccinated, had no intention to get vaccinated. Uh, following your protocols, uh, I went from 220 to 184. Excellent. So I thought I was in the best shape of my life. So at 184, that's what I weighed in high school. That's what I weighed when I went into the service. Right. You know, and it's amazing. The people around me, oh, you're too skinny. You're too skinny. (laughs) I say, hey, look at the chart. (laughs) This is what I'm supposed to weigh for my height. I'm 6'1". Hey, you know, you so, know, think about this for uh, a second. I, I am five, five and at a hundred and fifty pounds, I am borderline um, overweight based on BMI. I am right on the very mm-hmm. edge. Like if I gain five pounds, if I get up at 155, I'm actually considered overweight by my BMI. Right. So anyway, I think I'm in the best shape of my life. Well, I got COVID and I I got it pretty hard. So they tested me on the ship. Um, I had a terrible sore throat. I had fever. Um, It's like my eyes weren't connected to my brain. Everything that I was looking at was blurry. Um, so on the ship, all they gave me was Tylenol for the fever. You're right. They gave me throat lozenges for my throat. And so anyway, we make it off the ship. 
And I asked the guy as we were going off the ship, I say, how many people got COVID? Oh, only five. No way. Which I find hard to believe. Oh, that's bullshit. I find that very hard to believe, Kevin, for two reasons. We were leaving a port in Mexico. Captain gets on the intercom and says, hey, we're going to back up to the port. We got a medical emergency. Somebody's getting off the ship. Yeah. And then on the second week, we had no plans at stop, stopping at Grand Turk. They pulled into Grand Turk because somebody had to get off the ship. So, yeah. Um, it, you know, my when, wife got. If you look at the statistics around the world right now, because all these countries are requiring tests uh, of anybody coming out of China, because China's got an explosion of COVID right now. So all of the, including the United States, we require a test before anybody can come from uh, China. Now, ours is a little different. You can, if you're in China, you take the test, you know, within two days of flying and we accept it. A lot of these countries are testing people when the plane lands. They're testing everybody if that plane came out of China. And some of these planes, they're finding 80% infection rates. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I didn't think, you know, the guy said five people. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's well. Um, and so I go see my doctor in Michigan and, um, you know, she just kind of shrugs her shoulders and says, well, when you feel better, you probably should get vaccinated. I go, well, I'm under the impression that having COVID, you know, I have the best immunity there is. Well, you know, maybe. No, not maybe. So we have all the proof. Yeah. We have all the proof. You do have the best protection there is. Natural immunity by far trumps the vaccine. Yeah, that's what I was under the impression. Well, here's um, here's the latest research. I just posted a chart and... this research isn't coming from one blog post of some conspiracy theorist. I'm getting the same data from all over the world. When you dig into the data, we're starting to find the same thing. And this sounds crazy, but you can. this is absolutely supported by the data. The more times you've been jabbed with this vaccine and boosters, the more likely you are to get COVID. That is now becoming a very, very clear pattern. Yeah, so I have I have no intentions of getting any vaccines. Good. You know, and I'll just take my take my chances. The thing that I found a little bit disappointing is yeah, hey, I keep up on my vitamin D. I had that tested. I was at like ninety two. Um, you know, and being on the ship in the sun in the Caribbean, oh man, that sun just felt phenomenal on my body. Oh, I'll bet. You know, we get back to Michigan the 1st of December. We haven't seen a sunny day yet. I know. We've seen some glimpses. You know, here's one of the things, here's one of the things we have to remember about COVID or, you know, we're going to have more viruses show up down the road. One of the things we have to remember is even if we were a perfectly healthy human being with zero metabolic problems whatsoever, a very strong, balanced immune system, 
good nutritional status, all of that stuff, there still could be a virus that could kill us. Viruses can be very, very powerful. We, we have to realize that. We, we could still die no matter how healthy we are from, you know, a virus like Ebola. Um, some strains of Ebola are 90% deadly. Now, we may have a better chance if we're really healthy, but that doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. Doesn't mean we couldn't even be killed by one of these things. But what it means is, is we do everything we can. We control what we can control. I can only control my own health. I can't control whether Ebola shows up here in the U.S. or not. If it does, I, I just know I've done everything I can to protect myself. It doesn't mean we're not going to get sick, though. And sometimes when you have a really strong immune system and you get sick, it's going to feel worse. Most of our immune response is what makes us feel bad. The, our fever makes us feel horrible, but a fever is our immune response. The stronger our immune system is, the stronger our response might be, and it could save our life, but, but we could end up feeling really bad. Well, it's almost good to hear. Because I tell you what, this was really a blow to my ego. No, it, it, know, it shouldn't be. And all my be. friends that are back. Yeah, it, it, you know, and I understand. Well, I, mean, I kind of, when I got sick earlier this year when I was on the road, I kind of felt the same way. I was disappointed with myself. Like I failed. Right, yeah. And, exactly. and in some ways, actually, yeah, I did. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I stopped doing my stress protocol. I didn't take any supplements with me when I left. And, and some of it I did on purpose um, I was drinking more. Um, I was staying up late. I wasn't sleeping as good. And I got sick. It wasn't COVID, not based on the test, but it was the sickest I have been in a long, long time. And I, I kind of felt disappointed in myself. So I know what you mean. But we do have to realize, no matter how healthy we are, there's a virus out there that could take us down. Hmm. No, so I should be be grateful that I yeah. had yeah. the fevers and all that stuff because I was fighting that off. Well, exactly. I, I, hey, thanks, Kevin. I feel, I feel better. <laughs> well, well, you, but, you should. Know, I, like I said, I'm I probably. Yeah, I kind of went through that too. I mean, I, I don't want to be sick. Okay. I, I, I want to say, look, no, I, I'm no so problem. healthy. I do all the right stuff. I never get sick. And once in eight years isn't bad. And I can even explain why it happened. I stopped doing all the stuff I should do. Right. And then one other thing that I want to tell you, which you never talk about, is you lose all this weight. Well, now you got to buy all new clothes because you look like a hobo when you're wearing your other clothes. Uh, exactly. You know, yeah. so all, all my nice shirts from, you know, chrome shops and whatnot, they're all too big. My wife says, you can't wear that. You look goofy in that. I know. That, that, that's, that's a little disappointing. Yeah. You know, yeah. So but, uh, I, I guess I we should warn that. people, if you have a lot of clothes in your wardrobe and you really like them, don't try this because you won't be able to wear them anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, because, you know, there was a time when, when I was a two X, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but little, by little, but I tell you what, with what you've talked about with, you know, the foods to eat, not to eat. 
Um, I ran into a guy the other day. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm on a, on a strict carnivore diet, but he's drinking milk. I said, well, where does milk come in on a carnivore diet? Oh, uh, well, hey, hey, Dave. Yeah, he's drinking whole milk. Dave, Dave I'm, I'm drinking. technically, technically milk is allowable on a carnivore diet. It's an animal product. That really is kind of the definition of carnivore. Oh. Carnivore isn't necessarily okay. paleo. Okay, I just figured you were you were getting the fat from the whole milk, but you're taking in so much sugar. Well, not really. I mean, th granted, there is carbohydrates in whole milk, but think about it. If you are eating nothing but animal products, which which technically is what a carnivore diet is, and we all add some other stuff in there. Very few people are a hundred percent carnivore. Um, the lion diet now they even make it more strict. It's, it's meat, salt, and water. I mean, that's it. If you were eating the lion diet, um, but carnivore, even if you're 95% carnivore and even with quite a bit of milk consumption in there, you still are very, very low carb. Okay. Yeah. I just thought that that was, you know, kind of goofy because when they, you know, have, they never really took sugar out of milk. They made it low fat. Yeah, right. And, and, and sugar is natural in milk. That's, that's, um, that's the lactose. When we talk about being lactose intolerance, anything that ends in O-S-E, sucrose, glucose, fructose, lactose, lactose is milk sugar. It, it exists naturally. Um, one thing, we shouldn't be consuming high amounts of whole milk. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having it in a carnivore diet, it, as long as you're not negatively reacting to, to dairy. Um, I, I know people who are still suffering because they haven't taken dairy out of their diet, and they should. Or they should get a better source, like an A2 or a goat's milk or organic. Or So dairy has issues. But dairy is completely allowable on a carnivore diet because it's an animal product. Got it. Got it. So, hmm. well, um, hey, that's all I got. Thanks, Kevin. That's, um, all, that's all I need. Yeah, Thanks I for the did. call. Great stuff. Let's go to Indiana. Don, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I was calling with a, a different thing, but uh, listening to the listening to the show, I, it, it brought up another point, a quick point. Um, have you noticed the the commercials for all the fake pills that they make? I mean, by fake pill, I mean the ones that give you the side effects of the thing it's supposed to treat. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed lately since the whole COVID thing that now the, uh, uh, every side effect on every one of these commercials I see, they all include blood clots, you know? Uh, oh, it's like you're trying to elude this died suddenly thing to, yeah. you know, whatever this pill for heartburn. And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy when you have these pills for minor symptoms that could, you know, lead to heart attacks or heart attacks by blood clots. And, and like they're specifically saying clots, it just kind of blows it, my mind how they put it right out in the open there. It, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, the other thing that kind of gets me. You know, if you have some major heart condition and you're taking a drug that's, you know, probably keeping you alive, it, it, you know, there are better ways we could, you know, put you on a better diet. We could fix the problems. But but at least 
there's there's a medical reason for taking the drug. It's keeping them alive. It's minimizing their symptoms. The ones that really make me crazy are when you see drug commercials for things like Botox fillers, and they have all of these horrendous <laughs> side effects, and all they're doing for us is is plumping up our wrinkles so they don't look so wrinkly. And people are willing to suffer all these yeah, side effects and risks to get rid of a couple wrinkles. Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, these are those are kind of the the, the things I'm talking about. You know, you'll you'll see you'll see uh, a pill they've developed for let, let's say uh, um, irritable bowel or something, and and the side effects will include like diarrhea, bloating, it, um, right. dehydration, and now abdominal pain. And you're like, well, who who the hell is taking this pill? It, <laughs> you know. That's all the um, stuff I'm trying to get rid of. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah, mentioned right, exactly. IBS, and it's funny because I read a headline yesterday on IBS, and I started to read the article and couldn't get fast, past the first paragraph. There is a doctor who is actually making a claim that IBS is due to gravity. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't we all be affected by it then? <laughs> Well, anymore, <laughs> just about everybody on the standard American diet has some digestive issue. But yeah, he, he's yeah, blaming it on yeah. gravity. Donald. Yeah, just insane. Yeah. Um, okay, so originally I called because I, I, I gave you a call over the summer and called you with a tip about uh, uh, using pistachio shells to, to smoke on your grill. Oh, and I was yeah. just curious if you ever tried it. I haven't yet. Yeah, what'd you think? I haven't done it yet. I need oh. to do that, though. Oh, it's going to be one of your favorites. I'm telling you, you're missing out. Yeah. I, so where do, you, where, where do I get enough bulk pistachio shells to smoke? Doing like a, a, a meal for, for you and your wife. I mean, just a... Uh, a few shell halves is enough to do it to smoke the whole whole grills worth. So if you just, I mean, if you've just got like a sixteen ounce bag of pistachios, you you've eaten over a few settings like that. That that'll last you all summer. I mean, so if you're if you're smoking in bulk, like I, I would imagine, just a, a one pound bag of pistachios in the shell, you just you know save the shells. That'll that'll do an awful lot. It creates it. a, a okay. very generous amount of smoke. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I need to do that. I, I smoke all winter. I just, um, I, I did something new for New Year's Day. I um, bought a fresh ham. I, I've never, ever in my entire life either cooked or eaten a fresh ham. And I, I actually, I bought a, a share of a pig and part of it came with the fresh ham. So I threw the ham on the smoker uh, for about four hours, and then I threw it in the pressure cooker. And, and I ended up with, instead of a traditional ham kind of texture, you really end up with pulled pork. I mean, a ham is really, um, it's just the back leg of a pig. Pork shoulder is the yeah. front leg. They're really, really similar. The ham is slightly different, but the ham will cook down to pulled pork, just like a pork butt or a pork shoulder does. Uh, and it was really, really tasty. Yeah, I was say it sounds like a win. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really good. I mean, you, when the when the finished product is is pulled pork, I mean, that's uh, that that sounds like a big win. Yeah, and it seemed to me like it had more flavor than a pork 
um, shoulder. We call it a pork butt, but whether you call it a butt or a shoulder, that's always the front um, shoulder. And then the ham is the back leg. Um, but it seemed to me like it had a lot more flavor. Hmm. Well, right on. I was just trying to help you kill a few minutes of the show, and I was genuinely curious if you had if you had tried it yet. I, I need I'll, to. Uh, I guess I, I'll call back in a, a a few months and see what you think. Because yeah, keep, once I tried it, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I haven't even I haven't even used wood chips since. Uh, yeah, keep uh, keep checking on me. I, I need to do that though. I love learning new ways of cooking. Let's go to Vermont. KC, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, first off start this if my wife does not follow our diet okay but yesterday yesterday we had to take her into the emergency room and she just actually called me while i was on hold with you she has gallstones it's a gallstone one about the size of a golf ball yikes that tried to come out and that's why she was getting yeah that's why she was getting the pain the doctor actually said that Better that it's a big one than a little one because it won't get lodged in, but it may try to come out, keep coming out. I know that you said there is a way to dissolve them because, of course, they're talking surgery. There, there are protocols. There are supplements. Um, a, a lot of citric acid can actually no. dissolve gallstones. We've got some supplements that can do it. We don't publish a protocol for doing this on your own. Um, we, no, this I is, know. You usually want to use a practitioner. Yeah, this is one you're going to want to use a practitioner for. Right. Is that something that um, could be, like I say, I know she's not on observing the diet by any means, but is that something that could be done through... Lauren, or you know, does we, that need we, to be a physical practitioner? No, it doesn't have to be a physical practitioner, but it's not going to be us. I mean, I, I know people get pissed off okay. at me for this, but I won't work with people who won't change their diet. No, I know. I'm, that, I that, understand 100%. That, I, 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 don't, I do not want to be in the field of emergency medicine. And that's what we're talking about here. We're no. talking about something that has gotten to the point where surgery may be required that I don't know. And we would have to do right. a lot of digging. That's why we don't publish a protocol that people could do on their own. I, I want a doctor supervising right. this. And, and for us, we would rather just refer you out to somebody than, than say, well, we can work I with you, you, but we want a doctor. Why complicate it like that? There are so many good functional medicine doctors gotcha. out there that could handle this on their own. So this one we really right. prefer right. And like I said, it, we may work with her on this, but step number one would be you've got to change your diet for at least 30 days and you may not have that much time. I don't know. But I, I, I don't well, want to work, be working on that for four years. Here's what's going to happen. And this isn't a criticism of anybody. It's just the real world. You know, she's in pain. She wants help. Um, if we gave her help and we got her out of pain, she's going to be back again in six months or whenever. And, and next time yep. it might even be something different. Yep. We know as long as people eat the standard American diet, they're going to get sicker and sicker every year. And, and we are not in the right. business of fixing short-term problems. And that's what this is. This is a short-term problem. I, I got you. 
Yeah. So, so I, I don't, you know, I hate to say, no, we won't work with somebody, but that's just our policy. It just doesn't make sense for us to work with somebody who won't change their diet because that's all we really do. I don't do medical stuff. I just right. do diet. So if no. you're coming to me and you're saying, no, I'm not going to change my diet, then you're coming to the wrong place. But is this, um, is this a common enough type thing that uh, a practice, if I, if I got a hold of a practitioner, they would know what I was talking about? Yes, absolutely. This is very, very common. Okay. It's basic. It's simple. But having said that, let me also say this. Just because somebody uses the term functional medicine doctor doesn't mean anything. Right. There are a lot of bad ones out there, just like no, there are a I'm lot aware. of people in every field, everywhere all over the world that aren't very competent. I, to me, right. it's hard to find the people who are really competent. That Those are the people I want. So, yeah, you could talk to any yep. functional <laughs> medicine practitioner and they would know what this is. But there may be a bunch of them that out there that say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Just take your gallbladder out. I, I, they're not all good. Right. No, no. And that may be what she chooses to do. I don't know. I, you know, I've just told her that there are other options. We don't have spare parts. Uh, you know, I've been preaching it for quite a while. And, and you know, it, here's, uh, on, like I said, <clears throat> this can be dangerous. That's why we don't necessarily mess around with it. We'd rather just refer somebody out. But right. the, the, side effects from taking out the gallbladder are just horrendous. And we know that if they yep. let her leave the hospital, that she's not in any danger right now. You know, there's no immediate Correct. danger of some massive infection being caused by this, or they let her go and said, well, you know, we're going to have to do whatever, keep an eye on this. So we know we have some time. She could deal with a functional medicine Correct. doctor and see if we can just get rid of this thing. Right. And that's what I was, that's why I called really, because they are going to release her. They're actually doing an EKG on her because they also in her blood found a enzyme or something from a, that you would get in your blood from a heart uh, issue, which they said could be from the pain, but also she's had the jab too. So oh, yeah. could be from that. That complicates things. Yeah. I'm, it does. It does. Definitely. She's only had the, the you know, the initial two, you, but she hasn't know, done anything given, since. But Given the fact that she's had the vaccine, there could possibly be some heart issues here. Uh, my recommendation would be specifically for Dr. Wolfson. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I've... Uh, I've, that, that's one of the ones I was considering. One of the things I was considering, uh, being we're up in this rural area anyway, we don't have a lot of, I've found one functional medicine doctor and that one's uh, a couple hours away. And yeah. I haven't, I've never contacted the person either, but. You know, the, the thing is that working virtual is almost as good as being in person. It's so close. I mean, when you think about it, there, there's no real reason we have to be in the same room with the doctor. Nowadays, they don't look at you long anyway, so what's I, it matter? <laughs> exactly. 
you know, all the tests need to be At least sent in the out traditional to, ones. Yeah, all the tests need to be sent out to labs anywhere. Even in rural areas, we can, there are services where people will come right out to your house and do the blood draws for these kind of tests if you don't want to go into a clinic. Yep. Um, and, and Dr. Wolfson is really good at dealing with the after effects of the jab. Okay. I will put that to her and see what we can do from there. And hopefully she will, uh, maybe this will scare her into looking at things the right way. Let's hope so. Yeah. A little fear can be a good thing sometimes. <laughs> it, it, it can definitely very much. So there thank you, you for your time, Kevin. I appreciate it. And thanks for everything you do for us. All right. Keep me informed. Let me know how this goes. Let's go to Illinois. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I keep telling you the problem with being on hold is you come up with other things you want to talk about, but real, very, very briefly, that doctor that's blaming IBS on on uh, gravity, where in the hell is his control group and zero gravity to prove his thesis? <laughs> that's a really good point. In fact, I, this, I, 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 I am pretty sure... Things. I am pretty sure that if you want to mess up your digestion horribly, try living in zero gravity. Yeah, I just love the media's control group. So that ain't what I called about. I'll tell you what, you keep talking about Twitter. Would you please give us technologically illiterate peons a quick timer on Twitter? For example, I see screenshots of Twitter. They've got their name, and then underneath they've got an at. What's yours? And what what did you have to submit to get your goofy little blue check mark? And how do you even get on it? And how do you find people? And just give us a quick primer on Got Twitter. It. Got it. Okay. So in the name field on Twitter, you can put anything you want, even if it's already taken. So that's the kind of the weird thing about Twitter is if I wanted to go create a, an account right now and the name on the account could be Elon Musk. So that's where the at symbol comes in. The at symbol has to be unique. There can be no two people that have the same, you can have the same name, can't have the same at symbol. That's really your identifier. Now, ours, and I guess I should okay. put this out more often because I've never really said how to find me on Twitter. Our at symbol is actually at let's underscore truck. So you type in the word let's, L-E-T-S, the underscore symbol, and then truck. So at let's underscore truck, that's our at symbol. And then you follow us. That way, every time I post something- Oh, go ahead. Does that have to be case sensitive? Uh, that's a good question. You would think I would know that, but I don't. Let me go check, and I'll tell you oh, what. Oh, I the, would. I'll tell you what it is. Um, no capitals at all. Okay. So just at let's underscore truck all uh, small case all under so. Uh, no capitals at all in that word. And it may very well be case sensitive. So I'm glad you said that. Um, so that's that's right. how you would find us. And then you just click on follow. Then if I like something, you'll know I liked it. If I retweet something, you'll see it. If I tweet something original, you'll see it. And then you can look at the people I follow. And 
you know, I'm following a lot of really good doctors from around the world right now talking about, you know, metabolic health and the vaccine and COVID and all kinds of good topics. So then you're more likely to see things from people I follow or you can go follow them. Um, what was, oh, the blue check. The blue check thing is so up in the air right now. It seems to change every week. I, I paid to get a, a blue check um, whenever I signed back up, which was a day or two after Elon Musk finalized the sale. And I still don't know the status of mine. And that program has changed multiple times. So don't worry about the blue check. It's not that important. It's not a big deal anyway. I mean, I follow a lot of people who don't have a blue check. So that that's changing. I think it's going to continue to change. So I wouldn't worry about that whatsoever. So other You didn't have to send any documentation to verify it? Well, I don't know because the uh, when I first signed up, they said, "Look, here's a program, $8 a month, you get a blue check, you get this, you get th- there are other benefits to it." And I just said, "Okay, I'll do that." Well, I, I've never heard anything from anybody. Nobody's ever taken my $8. And every time I log in, it seems like there's a new program for the blue check. So I just don't think it's settled yet. And and a lot of stuff on Twitter isn't settled. There are going to be massive changes to Twitter coming. Um, one I saw today that could be out any minute. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. <clears throat> any minute now. And this came straight from Elon Musk. Something as simple as being able to bold a word or italics a word. You can't do that right now. Oh, Lordy. (laughs) Yeah, and the the big one. I've never been on a nod yet. The big one that he claims he's going to get rid of soon is the limit on characters. You know, right now, I think it's 140 characters and even a space counts as a character. So you're limited on the message you can send out. I think he's going to get rid of that. He's going to make it more of a long form. You could write entire articles if you wanted. Uh, that'll be a good change. Other than that, this is just a, a it, it has become my number one news source right now. Like I have, I've talked about it. I have news aggregators that search all day, every day, and pull in headlines that I'm interested in, and then I scroll through those headlines every day. I still do that, but I'm doing it way, way less because when you follow the right people on Facebook, they bring all the news to me, stuff I would never find on my own. Okay. Well, that helps a little. I just never never gotten into it, and you keep talking about it, and I keep saying I'm going to try to find it and find it, but I haven't ever got around to it because I'm not smart enough to figure out how to get into it. So, you know, one of the themes on my show here is all of the stuff that the mainstream media just won't cover or talk about. You know, why does all of the mainstream media sound like they're all reading from the same script? You know, whether it's January 6th and how they talk about that or the vaccine and how effective mainstream media claims it is and how they ignore all of the, you know, people dying suddenly and the athletes collapsing on the field. All this stuff that I keep talking about that that mainstream media won't talk about, the place to find all the best news for it right now is Twitter. Is that a sad commentary on the news media 
today, though, that we have to go to Twitter to get the real story. Yeah, and, and I follow a lot of journalists on Twitter who have become completely independent. People who used to work for like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal and, and just got tired of basically all the censorship and, and the control in the mainstream media. So they went out on their own and maybe they write for something like Substack, but then they're very active on, uh, face, or on Twitter as well. So right now, by far, Twitter is where I'm getting the best information. You ever wonder what Walter Cronkite would think of Twitter? <laughs> oh, that would be interesting. But I also, I, I also wonder was, what Walter Cronkite would think about how our media is is all for um, censorship these days. Oh, he'd be horrified. He'd be absolutely horrified, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was the media of all people that were the strongest defendants of the First Amendment because they needed it. They needed to know. As a journalist, they could say or write whatever they want, and they couldn't be punished by the government. So they were the, the, the protectors of the First Amendment. So were the liberals and the left. I don't know what the hell happened. Upside down, inside out. That's what happened. So, all right, that, that tells me what I need to know, Kevin. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, the phrase... Uh, Cats are barking and dogs are purring comes to mind. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. But like I said, I, I never thought I would uh, be spending so much time on Twitter and encouraging other people to do it, but I am. Let's uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. I got I got two a couple of things there. The IBS and gravity. We just have to remember that normally it does run downhill. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's how it has to work. How can we blame <laughs> IBS on gravity? Yeah, shit happens. So, that's right. And then it um, rolls downhill. I, I, yeah, I, I got I got to think about cold therapy as, as well, but you said that the NFL players, some of them were not 100% metabolic healthy, but they were fit and reasonably healthy. Well, some of them are, but some of them are just fat and obese in my book. Oh, no, that's true. Those lo yeah. those big linebackers that are oh, no 400 doubt. pounds, they're just fat and obese. They couldn't, run the, they couldn't run full distance the length of the field without stopping for a breather. So There's no yeah. doubt. The, the big, you know, linemen, um, that we just want them really, really big. Now, I will say some of them are really impressive athletes. When you look at the the yeah. forty yard dash time, some of those big guys can put out. Um, but again, and that's why yeah. I said it. That doesn't mean that they're all metabolically healthy. Yeah, yeah, because some of them are probably in terrible shape. Because I always thought the NFL stood for not for long because usually they don't last really oh, long. Well, it's a brutal sport. Or someone like that. I mean, it's horribly yeah. destructive to your body. No matter how fit and healthy you yeah. are at some point, you're, you're just going to beat your body up so much you're going to have to quit. Although, I will yeah, say when you look at somebody like out. a Tom Brady, who has been in the league a long yeah. time, still playing, still doing really well, but we also know that he doesn't eat the standard American diet. 
So, um, the cold therapy thing, like I have lots of people that if they see me in long trousers, oh, it must be cold. Paul's got long trousers on, but I do get cold hands. <laughs> it don't take long for my hands to get cold. Right. But I'll wear, I'll wear short pants even when it's below freezing and I'll have a, a woolen singlet on and a polo shirt and a sweatshirt. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so if I, if, uh, and if I do a lot of walking, like if I go to the state fair or something like that or walk a half marathon, when I come home, I'll stick my feet in the ice water. That's for a five great, minutes. I'll great be doing therapy. That yeah. Yeah. Cause people say, Oh, I'll take my shoes off and soak them in hot water. No, take your shoes off and soak them in ice water. It's it, like you say, it's painful when you first stick them in there, but after two minutes or three minutes, you can't really feel it. And you know, 10 minutes after, Oh, they feel really good. You know, there's been this treatment idea that we injure something a lot of times in sports or physical therapy that we should alternate between hot and cold. And that's really been debunked. The only reason to use heat at all is for the little bit of comfort it might bring you short term. You know, it does feel good when you've got a sore muscle and you put heat to it. It feels good. It's not therapeutic, though. Cold is what's therapeutic when we injure a muscle or overwork it. It's inflamed. We want to bring the inflammation down. Cold does that. So when we put on hot and it feels good, yep. uh, it's okay to do that for a little bit of relief and comfort, but you shouldn't use heat very often for injuries. You should almost always use cold. Yeah, because uh, that that week before Christmas, the really cold weather that came to Oklahoma, it was four degrees, well, my wife, she she likes it warm and toasty in the house, so I'll be walking around with flip flops on and yeah, exactly t shirt yeah, and she's she snuggled up underneath electric blanket sort of thing. But when it did go as cold as it did go, when I did go outside those days, I did put on my coveralls and gloves and a beanie hat. But really, the only thing that got cold was my fingers. So I might try the sticking my hands in the ice water and see if I can. Oh, it'll, it'll help. No doubt. Get the blood flow better. Yep. So I, I don't know why I didn't think of it. Cause it feels, I never get cold feet, but I get cold fingers that, and they'll get cold quick. Yeah. Well then just try specifically Fahrenheit. putting your hands in ice water. Okay. I'll do that. So right, I got to get fuel. Thank you very much. Talk All you right. Later. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas. Ben, welcome to the program. Hello, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have an investing question for you. Uh, so uh, I went to treasurydirect.gov, okay. and I created an account, and I was, I was one click away from purchasing some I-bonds. Then I heard you tell, I think I heard you tell a gentleman the other day, I think you drugged and advise him not to do it. And I was just wondering, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? So part of the problem with giving financial advice on the air is even more difficult than giving health advice sometimes. It, with financial advice, I've, I've, there's a lot I need to know. You know, I, I used to do financial planning directly with people. Um, and 
it was a fairly long process. I, you know, I would want to look at their tax returns. I would want to look at their investment accounts and portfolios. Then once I had all that data gathered, then I would interview them and I would try to find out about their risk tolerance because that's an important part of investing. When we invest money, there's always some risk. If we don't invest money, there's risk. People don't understand that. The risk of not investing money is inflation. So you you earn a dollar and right now inflation is running at, at still almost 7%, I think. Next year, that dollar is worth 7% less than what it was this year. So there's a risk to not investing. The, the risk is that inflation will overtake your money. So we have to try to invest our money to grow it, to at least keep up with inflation, but we want to grow it beyond that so we have savings at retirement. So that risk tolerance is a big deal. How much risk can somebody handle? Um, so even with something that seems completely safe like an I-bond, there's still a risk. And the risk is, did we do the right thing? There's no risk in an I-bond that you're going to lose money. It's kind of like a certificate of deposit. There's no risk you're going to lose money. When I tell people, you know, invest some money into the S&P 500, there's an absolute risk you could lose money. If you started investing in the S&P 500 in January of this year, and you've been dollar cost averaging all year, you lost money. And there's a risk to that. And we need to manage that. So it, it's, it's difficult for me to give very specific financial planning advice. Usually I stay pretty generic. For the most part, there's very, very little downside to doing an I-bond right now when, when rates are nice and high. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Uh, well, that's all I've had. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. Oh, no, we've got a, we've got a call coming in here. We, uh, we blew through a bunch of them pretty quick there. We've got another one coming in, so I'll wait for it. Um, yeah, like I said, I, sometimes for me, it's harder to give financial planning advice than it is to give health advice. The one thing I can say about certain things in health is I don't need to know anything about your health history to make recommendations sometimes. I mean, I can recommend a specific diet without knowing anything about somebody's background because there's just no downside to doing it. You know, if I recommend somebody eat carnivore, um, there's virtually zero downside. I don't need to know much. But if, if somebody's going to invest in the S&P 500, as much as I recommend it, it doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. It's not even close. You know, in health, I could say 100% of the time, the most important thing you could do is change your diet. I don't know. Well, I do know what the most important thing you can do for investing is. And maybe I should say it more often, but it, most people won't follow it anyway. And I guess most people don't follow my health advice either. So probably no difference. Um, when it comes to money, I would never say investing in the S&P 500 is the most important thing you're going to do. It's not. Really, the most important thing you're going to do around money is spend less than you earn. If I had to put out one rule that I could say fits everybody when it comes to money is spend less than you earn. So if somebody calls and says, hey, I need some advice, that would be my first advice. 
make sure you're spending less than you earn. But giving specific financial planning advice is a lot more difficult and there's a lot more history and and personal information that I need. All right, let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. What's on your mind? Do you remember Mike... Do you remember Mike McConnell on WLWAM Cincinnati Radio? I do. I really liked his show a lot. Well, he he went to Chicago, and now he's back to WLW. He does the early morning. He took Jim Scott's show from like 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. I was listening to him this morning, and he had a report on there. You talk about one that's going to make you say, you have got to be shitting me. This is it. Some The report that he read claim that the iPhone, because today is the anniversary from 2007 of the first iPhone release, but the claim was that the iPhone was the biggest selling product ever. Well, then McConnell says, I don't believe that. He thought it was nails. (laughs) So he did some looking into it, and he actually found a top 10 list of number one products that have sold since their invention. The Apple iPhone on this list that he found was number six. The iPad was number five. I thought that was interesting. Number one was the Sony PlayStation, but the one that blew me away, guess what number two is? You'd never guess it. Lipitor. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a little confused. What is the criteria for selling the most? How are they measuring this? Well, that's the part that he did not say, and he did not say what news aggregate the the list come from, but I thought it was just so laughable. Lipitor, that is something that is pushed almost in a communistic way. There's... I don't even know how I want to respond to this or approach it. You're right. That's insane that a pharmaceutical drug is on this list, but I'm having a hard time even thinking about this until I know what the criteria is because it's not making any sense to me. At first, when you said the best-selling product, I thought, wait a minute, how are you going to do that? Then you started naming things in the PlayStation and the iPhone. And I thought, well, maybe we're talking about electronic devices here. But then you threw in Lipitor. Well, wait a yeah. minute. Doesn't uh, doesn't yeah. toilet paper sell more than all that stuff? Well, I would think so. You kind of kind of need it. <laughs> and you've been using it your whole life. Everybody has. So I I I, I need to see the yeah. criteria because this list isn't even making sense to me. I I just thought it was so laughable. Oh, it that is. That was I number know. two. I, it, oh yeah. my god, Kevin. Kevin's got to hear that one. Yeah, it's it, unbelievable. It, like I say, that's it. It's a crazy claim, and it, it's outrageous. But I can't get my head around it until I know how we measured this. It's not making any sense to me. Yeah, well, I'm not driving later on this evening. I think I'll type in just to see if I can find that list just to do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see it. That's crazy. Sony PlayStation number one, Lipitor number two. Yeah, that's what they said. <laughs> huh. Oh, McConnell. said, you have got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> and, and now we really know 
that that drug has no real benefit to any human being. It is nothing but a drug that produces side effects. It produces no positive effects whatsoever. My wife was on a statin, and I, I forget which one, and it doesn't really matter. But her hip, that one hip, was so sore, it was horrible. And I said, honey, it's that damn statin. Well, what do you mean? So I told her, and this has been a long time ago when this all started coming out and you were talking about it. She said, well, all right. So she just quit taking it. She told him no. Hip pain went away. Yeah. Yeah, it's well documented. Like I said, these statins, they don't have a primary effect. Well, I I shouldn't say that. They do have a primary Uh effect. They will lower your cholesterol. We know they do that, but we don't want to lower our cholesterol. That's the crazy thing. We want our cholesterol to be higher. There are this whole issue. I keep talking about testosterone levels in males. Well, guess what the human body does with cholesterol? It makes testosterone out of it. Okay, so saying Lipitor or one of them lowers your cholesterol number, okay, Let's say it really does. It does. But you could also put a whole boatload of base additive in your engine motor oil on a semi-truck. Do you need it? Just exactly. because it works doesn't mean you need it. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so it, it does do one thing. It lowers the number. But it has no positive impact on yeah. your health outcomes at all. None. Zero. And it has horrendous side effects. Right. And yet... They are still, and I've talked about it, statins are the number one um, class of drugs in the world for sales. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally yep. worthless class of drugs, and it's the number one seller all over the world. <laughs> our medical community and our government, the way this kind of thing is run, makes me think of which one was it. Was it Foxworthy? You know, all of these issues we talk about, whether it's the government or the pharmaceutical companies or all these problems, and they're so obvious and we can prove them over and over. And and then we start on the conspiracy theories, you know, is this population control? And, you know, I go back and forth. I don't know. It's complicated stuff. But I, I tend to lean towards... There isn't any real, well, there might be, but I think most of this is not a big conspiracy theory. I think it's individual people trying to make money and and then it gets out of control. I, I think this all comes down to money and power, nothing more than that. And it reminds me of a line from, um, it's a Bruce Springsteen song, one of his big ones, but I always forget, is it? Born in the USA. I forget which song it is, but the line is, um, and basically leading up to it, he kind of has, you know, this all figured out now. A poor man wants to be rich. A rich man wants to be king. And a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. I really think that's all this is. It's just human nature. Mm -hmm. The other report McConnell was telling about you know, Joe went down to El Paso, Texas yesterday. <laughs> they had a guy that was a local in El Paso at the border town. I think he was a deputy or 
sheriff deputy or something like that. And he said during the time that Joe was there, all the illegals and all the riffraff and all the junk that's at the border wall, it was just gone. It wasn't there. So I, Joe says there's no problem. I, I've, I, I've heard that and I've seen the pictures of it. And uh, if that's what's going on, what an absolute joke. I mean, we have so much footage of thousands of people flooding across this border every day that you can't deny what's happening. And yet My they still deny it. My dad did not die in Vietnam. My dad did not die in Vietnam for this country to be ran the way it is by the types of people that are doing it. No, it's, it's horrendous. Just, I can't believe that he died in Vietnam for that. I just, oh my God, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's horrendous. It really is. Wow. All right, man, I'll let you be and move on to somebody else. All right, Herschel, thanks for the call. Yeah, I haven't heard... Uh, haven't heard Mike McConnell in years. I used to love his show. Um, if I remember right, I think I used to listen to it on XM. I know he was on WLW, but I think he was on XM for a while. Where was I? I used to listen to his show all the time. I can't remember where I used to listen to it. And then he disappeared. Um, and I haven't heard him in years, but I used to love his show. All right, so uh, boy, calls were certainly slow to get started today, but once I asked for them, we certainly got them. We have one more coming in right now. It's being screened. I am going to turn off the phone lines um, because I've got a conference call coming up at 11 o'clock, so I've got to wrap this up today. Um, I do, I mentioned it in my open today, um, I have got to start getting some of these projects finished. And Right after the show today, I've got a conference call and I've got a whole list of stuff. I've got to start cranking out some work and getting some of these projects closed up. Let's go to West Virginia. Joe, you get the final word today. What's on your mind? Okay, so since you guys just brought up about Mr. Biden down at the border... I just like to remind drivers, because I do this to my family, I remind my family that as I travel around the country and I continue to see bridges, the backs of buildings, signs that have graffiti all over them, and the graffiti is being put up by the gangs that have been entering America. So it's the gangs that are marking their territory. We didn't have this two, three years ago, but we have it now. So I live in New Jersey, and I point it out to my family all the time. Look at all the signs, the bridges, the overhead bridges. Look at all that stuff. It wasn't there before. That's the gangs marking their territory. And I always tell them, as you drive around, look and see if you see any new ones because they're popping up all over and at a family gathering you know like a month after i said it to some people they're like yeah i noticed that we just thought it was kids goofing off i'm like no that's how the gangs like the mexican cartels and everybody else that comes through the border that's how they mark their territory so they know who's in the area so i just thought i'd put it out there so when now drivers that- see it they can remind they can remind their families. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, you made one statement that I'll push back a little bit against, and maybe it's true in your particular area or where you were looking when you said we didn't have this two or three years ago. Um, we had this 30 years ago. I mean, gangs, gang markings right. as graffiti have been around at least yeah. 30 years, pro- probably significantly longer than that. But I, I agree with you that is it, clean, it has it exploded up. in the last two or three years. Yeah. You know, when in the first year of COVID with all the lockdowns, we didn't go down to Portland for a long, long time, several months. We used to go down, I, we used to go to Portland almost once a week, a couple times a month, a couple places in Portland I really like. Um, with COVID, we pretty much stopped going down. The first time I drove back through Portland, not even going to Portland itself, but just driving through, I was shocked. I mean, we've always had a lot of graffiti in Portland. We've had a lot of homeless. We've had a big homeless problem in Portland. But I was shocked at how the graffiti had almost doubled in that year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just came down Interstate 39 through Wisconsin last Friday. There's a whole section... I want to say it's probably 30 miles from the border as you're heading south to go into Illinois. There's a whole section that's been upgraded, new construction. And there's a big wall as you're heading south. It's to your west. And I couldn't believe that they've already hit this wall Yeah, with a lot of graffiti, not just, you know, one or two little things. But you're correct. We did have graffiti back 30 years ago, and it cleaned up quite a bit. Uh, so when I made the comment, you know, two, three years ago, uh, what I was really referring to was that, yes, it had cleaned up a lot, but now it's exploding again and it's in places that you don't always suspect. No, I agree. Uh, There's a lot of cities, obviously, where you'll see a lot. Yeah. So those are the reminders when people say that, oh, the immigration problem is not a big deal because like now, you know, they cleaned up El Paso. So Mr. Biden can go and see it. Well, people, they think there's not a problem. And then they they also say, what's the big deal? Everybody wants to live in America. It's a great country. Why shouldn't we welcome them? Well, because they're illegal, number one. And number two, it's not just people wanting a better life. It's people that also want to do harm to you and take what you and your family have. And that's my opinion, and I feel very deeply about it. So that's why I just thought, since you guys were talking about Mr. Biden down at the uh, border, it's a good thing for drivers to, you know, remind their families about, because their families may not see it every day. But a lot of towns have, I've seen the graffiti on the wall, come back a week later, and you could see that the the town must have sent somebody out to paint over yeah. like bridges, but then it comes back again. They just, so the gangs, they're there, you know, they're in your uh, neighborhoods in a lot of places. They're in the area. Be careful. I, absolutely. I agree. And while we're talking about it, we might as well throw in one more thing. Um, it, at least the mainstream media talks about this issue but they don't really make it clear where it's all coming from. We, we've all heard about the fentanyl crisis and how many people are dying and how right. it's no longer, I, I've even talked about this, these are not overdoses. 
these are intentional poisonings. There's a big difference. It, it's one right. thing when somebody comes completely yeah. addicted to heroin and they're out living on the street, injecting themselves five and six times a day. I get it. When they die, that's an overdose. That, that is a true overdose. I wouldn't argue that. But what we're seeing now are college kids, athletes, people who don't take drugs on a regular basis. They're not addicted. They're not hooked on anything, but they will occasionally use illegal drugs. I've, I've told the story of stockbrokers in New York who use cocaine as a performance enhancing right. drug. Their, their, their investing skills become better on a little bit of cocaine. I'm not saying it's a good idea or they should be doing it, but we know that that's very different than somebody who's addicted to a drug. And now what we have is, is maybe one of these stockbrokers who has used cocaine for 15 years without it ever being a problem for them now gets a drug delivered and dies instantly because it's laced with fentanyl. That's not an overdose. That's an intentional poisoning. Right. And that's what's happening now. And, and, and the mainstream media is talking about fentanyl, yep. but they're not really saying that all of this fentanyl is coming across our southern border. Right, and it's coming in in large quantities. So Huge quantities. Oh, the day when they oh, you know, I never like to miss an opportunity to point out how incompetent um, Joe Biden is these days. Uh, I think he's always been incompetent as a politician. I think he's been a horrible politician his whole career. But now we have this issue of his dementia. And I, I am positive he has dementia of some sort. He made a statement the other day and he didn't misspeak. He was reading this. You could tell he was reading it. So it wasn't like he said a thousand when he meant a million he said it multiple times and he was reading it. And here was the statement that he made. This is so insane. And I can't believe that he didn't get more pressure for this. He said he was talking about some bust on the southern border, trying to brag that the southern border is secure. And he said, we, we confiscated 20,000 pounds of fentanyl. And then he said, 20, 000, and he said these numbers over and over, so you know he was he he didn't just misspeak one time. He said twenty thousand pounds of fentanyl could potentially kill thousands of Americans. No, you bonehead! It could right. kill about a billion people on the planet. Twenty thousand right. pounds yep. of fentanyl. It would kill hundreds yeah. of millions, possibly a billion people. And he said could kill a thousand people or, of yeah. Americans or so. That's how out of touch he is. Yeah. Well, well, because he doesn't know and his advisors are not good. In my opinion, when these guys become a president or what, whatever their positions are, most of them are not the smartest guy in the room. He's clearly not. With the exception, I believe, no. But with the exception, I believe Mr. Trump was probably always one of, I should say, President Trump. He was always, in my opinion, either the smartest or one of the smartest people in the room. Most of these other people, they don't get their facts. So how can they present proper facts you to know, your figurehead, to your president or whoever it is? 
This idea of intelligence or who's smarter, I've even said this before about myself in the past. I don't think I'm all that intelligent in in the traditional ways that we measure intelligence, like an IQ test. I've never taken one. And I, I honestly, I don't want to. I'm afraid I might be disappointed but, with the score. But I think that I have good emotional. versatility. Yeah, I think I have good, what they refer to now as emotional intelligence, which really I think we need a better name than that because I, I don't think that really clarifies what we're talking about. There are people who are very effective in the real world. And, and we, we might describe them as being intelligent. They're, they know a lot of things. They know how to get things done. They know how to change or improve things. And, and we, we sometimes refer to them as intelligent. I, I would make a comparison that I would venture to say that if we were just to measure raw intelligence, that Barack Obama is much more intelligent than, than Donald Trump. But I don't believe he's effective in the real world. Bill Clinton was extremely intelligent, but But I, I, but again, that doesn't always mean somebody is effective in the real world. Sometimes people with really extreme intelligence have a very, very hard time even living in the real world. Yes. So, yeah, I don't like to call Mr. Biden the president because he's not a true president as we know them in the United States of America. So I always just refer to him as Mr. Biden, because he doesn't get my respect. But that's just, you know, my opinion. That's right. Anyway, Kevin, thank you. Thank you very much for the last word today, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, we are going to wrap it up just a couple minutes short of three hours today. So calls were slow coming in, but boy, once they took off, they took off. So uh, great stuff. Thanks to everybody today. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.